following Days of Thunder pay-per-view special is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. I'm your host, your park ranger on Thunder Road in this lovely fall brawl walk through the foliage, Dave Ryan, and I am joined as ever by my faithful co-host, Sagar Lee Malone. Lee, how are you? If you're the park ranger, does that make me, uh, what's that fucking bear's name? Yogi Bear. <laughs> Yogi Bear. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a great start, forgetting the name of a very famous bear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perhaps the most famous bear. <laughs> I'm not too bad, pal. How are you on this? Why is a lovely Sunday evening? Yeah, we're recording with actual daylight for once, um, which is, it's always unusual to me not recording a podcast under cover of darkness. And it's not sweltering um, hot either. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's thankfully quite temperate so the the thunder buddies at home can worry a little less about our, our health and our well-being by the time we get through this one this week we won't be rushing because we're nearly passing out in the heat um but yeah i, I i've been good um i'm kind of looking forward where we're hitting a, a hot streak of a few podcasts in a row because we're going to be um we're going to be here this week obviously talking about uh fall brawl but we have a knights of nitro coming up next week and then a regular episode of thunder thereafter um it's not quite the way we're in it's not quite the lockdown schedule we had yeah yeah where we were doing once a week for what was it two months but Mm -hmm. uh yeah nice little bit of content coming out and um i gotta say as uh 2020 wrestling appeals to me less and less um we've uh it's good to be able to retreat back to this stuff even if if if, um it's a genuinely horrendous card in a lot of points (laughs) (laughs) that we're going to be talking about um it it, it is it is funny though to watch like modern wwe for us considering how much of 1998 WCW that people generally malign as awful yeah and compare and contrast between the two because I don't know man I think 2020 WWE may be the worst North American product ever um do you know like obviously we we have to get to the very worst of this just yet um <clears throat> in terms of like financials probably WCW is still worse cuz you're talking about a company that went from in 1998 being the most profitable wrestling company in the history of the world uh to hemorrhaging money within a year so i'd say financially WCW is pr- still probably miles ahead um but creatively 
possibly um in terms of how much wwe is running off its own audience um and like really really getting down to this is the absolute people who will just never change the channel even with a gun to their head during wwe numbers um but yeah it is funny because it's kind of the thing that um we see that that tweet coming out like every time WWE do the new worst thing they've ever done this week um we see the tweets coming up as like oh this is like sub WCW levels and Mm -hmm. do you know I can understand that um the other one that gives it a run for its money is probably Russo era TNA um but I suppose which Russo era TNA (laughs) yeah yeah that's very true but I, I suppose the way we would look at it because something that that is to our benefit on on days of thunder is that we we can appreciate the so bad it's funny and Mm -hmm. entertaining wrestling and what wwe has done is it's not even bad enough to be funny a lot of the time like there is some stuff where i absolutely cringe and laugh at god this is fucking dumb as hell um the thunderdome this week being a, a a good example of that uh this state of the art situation that had been hyped up through social media and it's just this kind of dystopian a load of zoom calls on a wall behind the hard camera situation that i had kind of tweeted out looks very much like the the architect's room from the matrix reloaded um yeah that kind of stuff make gives me a bit of a grim chuckle but it's it's weird because you know i, I watch aew and aew is not perfect by any stretch um you know sometimes it veers a little bit too into to wacky stuff for my liking but at least there's stuff that makes me want to tune in every mm-hmm. week do you know even if i'm not vibing with the whole thing like we had both kind of tweeted dis- fairly disparaging things about uh, the mimosa mayhem match being announced this week uh, yeah so <laughs> and you know we're huge fans of jericho here so like um obviously it's very disappointing for us but um even though that kind of stuff is going on and it's a bit disappointing, there's still like, you know, things X, Y, and Z all over the show that are making us want to tune back in. And who would have thought that they would have turned the dark order around to the point where, oh, I want to tune back in and see where they're going with this now because they did a very good segment with them. Eddie Kingston is doing interesting stuff, mm-hmm. you know. But WWE, to me, even though they have a lot of wrestlers who I would think are some of the, the, the best wrestlers bell to bell on the world still if they if they are ever given a chance i have absolutely no compulsion to watch any of it you know i like um, i watched smackdown on friday just to see how bad the thunderdome would end up being mm. and it wasn't even a bad tv show it was just absolutely fucking boring like, yeah like just so boring and so uninteresting and you just look at the roster they have and it's not even worth fantasy booking because the shit will never happen as long as that fucking 74-year-old maniac is still involved. Yeah. Like, I had... Again, I'm at the stage of if a WWE thing is on, maybe I'll put it on in the background. We were talking before we went on the air about how I was watching Dynamite last night and TakeOver was overlapping with it. So I said, oh, look, I'll, I'll throw that on. I'll, I'll double screen it. So I was watching AEW but casting an eye over to takeover and takeover was a never miss for me do you know what i mean not that long ago uh and even that was like the stuff on it that was fine but 
I'm just not invested anymore. No. I just don't care. Everything is so anodyne and nothing ever leads anywhere and nothing feels fresh. And um, what was considerably more interesting, uh, it following TakeOver, they did another one of those untold documentaries and it was on the, the Sasha Bailey match from Brooklyn. The right, okay. incredible like generational match mm. in WWE. That was um, five years ago now, which is makes me feel very old. Um, but it was both a really interesting getting to hear both of them talk about how they got to that point and then hear them talking about the match was really interesting but also kind of bummed me out because I was like my god like I was so into Mm -hmm. this brand and those people five years ago and this is where I am now do you know what I mean like I just yeah it was bleak uh, that's for sure um but look, you know, let's let's not uh, dwell on the grim 2020 landscape for much longer. Let's go back to the grim 1998 landscape <laughs> and talk about Lee, what was probably, I think, maybe the worst pay-per-view, you know, we've seen so far on this show. One of the best matches we've seen so far on this show. Yeah, I, I think that's fairly fair to say. It's like, we'll, we'll go through a match by match, obviously, but it's... Yeah, this this pay per view is very hard to quantify as an overall product because there's so much shit, but yeah. yet in amongst it all, just that one little gold nugget, and I cannot yeah. fucking wait to talk about it. Yeah, but before we do that, it's time for our traditional first port call on Thunder, and that is the beers of Thunder as we talk about the uh, the adult beverages that we need as a crutch to get us through uh, the worst parts of Thunder and WCW and. This week is certainly no exception for needing that particular crutch. Uh, Lee, what do you have assisting you this week? Well, being that's a very chilled, laid-back Sunday evening, and I have yet to have my dinner, so soakage is at a minimum. <laughs> and I don't want to go with anything too heavy. I've just got a couple of cans of Guinness with me, and just nice and chilled, and here to talk about some very, very bad wrestling. Good stuff, good stuff. Uh, I have gone with, um, from the Brewmaster, uh, I have gone with their Irish Red Ale, because uh, I'm a bit of a Red Ale buzz the last few months, so I'm just going to give that a go now. This is my first uh, ever taste of the uh, the Brewmaster Red Ale. Yes, yes, <laughs> I like that, I like that. It's not as good as my, my Rebel Red Ale. That is probably my, my favourite regular beer at the moment. But do you know what? It'll do. It'll do. I, I do enjoy that Rebel Red. It's really nice. It's very, very good. Um, The show we are here to talk about, ladies and gentlemen, is Fall Brawl 1998, September 13th, 1998 to be exact, coming to you from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, We kick off the show with uh, some heavy drums as a video package lays out the names in tonight's massive War Games main event. Uh, It's nothing flashy, Lee, for a video package. Uh, Nothing about the build whatsoever. It's pretty much, here are the names, and the names should sell it alone. Get hyped. Yeah. uh, A very unusual intro package. It's just like, like you say, just run through the names, a little picture of them all. There you go, there's Team Hollywood. Then it's like, there's Team WCW. And just, it, it's very strange. Yeah. Uh, our two rings are here, of course, uh, as is 
customary for war game setup. Uh, I will say, you know, we, we talk every month on our pay-per-view specials about the stage setup, and this was a very lackluster one. It was yeah. just three screens. And they come out from behind the middle screen, which is, I think yeah. they've done that in a, the previous couple of years as well on Fall Brawl. Um, yeah. one, one thing that did strike me during the opening package, though, mm-hmm. and it's not something we mentioned, we failed to mention on the last uh, Thunder, this is Warrior's first WCW pay-per-view ever. Yes. He's in a multi-man match, Dave. Yep. They're paying and him a lot of fucking money. Yeah. Why? And, <laughs> yeah. And we will talk about, as we will get to when we get to the main event, in terms of how much he earned per minute that he was in the match. He's done very well for himself here tonight. Like, near Hogan levels. Um does fuck all on this mm-hmm. pay-per-view uh, but I suppose you know we'll probably reflect fondly on this month where he did fuck all next month uh, when we're talking about him versus Hogan uh, an absolute all-timer of a bad match uh, but yeah this is you would think if you're spending all that money and you're bringing in a huge name that you'd want to put him in either a singles match or, or maybe a tag match or, mm-hmm. or something like this something where you're going to get like you know bang for your buck out of the amount of uh you know the, the star power rather than he's just one of nine guys at least show that he can still go like that convince your audience that he can beat hogan or hogan yeah. can't be him or whatever way you want to work it yeah the only thing that this was missing was just in terms of the order of people entering the ring if they just had him come out like randomly like fourth or fifth <laughs> You know, not first, not last, just like right in the middle of the pack, forgettable. Uh, that would have been the real kind of icing on the cake there. But no, G- you're dead right. Pure, that, like, pure WWE hours where Goldberg rips through an elimination chamber only to get pinned by Triple H. Yeah. Oh, God. That I, that match still makes me sad because it's like for 90 seconds they got Goldberg right and then immediately went back to fucking up. Uh, what can you do? Um. So yeah, Ferdy's lackluster stage set up and we've got Tony, Brain and Tanae on commentary for the night. Um, they say at the start that a lottery was drawn uh, backstage to determine that Brett and DDP will be starting the match tonight. Uh, commentary emphasises once or twice more in this introductory, in, introductory period that the important detail tonight is that the winner gets Goldberg at Halloween Havoc. Um, they start talking about another rule change that that hadn't been mentioned on on thunder when they were running down all the rules um that the the match can end at any time so we don't need everybody in the ring all nine people don't have to be in as is normal Mm -hmm. uh for war games every participant needs to be in before somebody can score a pinfall uh theoretically brett and page could be in there for 30 seconds somebody gets knocked out and there's a pinfall so that's does that mean during the random draw they could have drawn two NWO Hollywood guys and Hogan could have like had Stevie Ray just lay down for him yes and this is the first of many times tonight where the the rules of this match really uh, take the wind out of everything here mm-hmm. um, but anyway uh so they begin talking about the rule changes and there's a hard cut to backstage where Ernest Miller is being held back again from Norman Smiley. But it, it, like it's the second time in as many shows where 
uh, Ernest Miller and Norman Smiley are involved in an altercation and for some reason it's almost like the camera is deliberately trying to not show you that it's Norman Smiley because it's just like the back of his head and he never turns towards the camera or anything like that you have to go by like context clues to figure out who it is yeah I think you, you only really hear his voice and that's about it and it's just it's very fucking strange considering Norman Smiley has only been on what WCW TV like less than a month yeah it's it's very very strange and Tony is selling it like we're actually going to see something happen here but we didn't um, cuts to G- Mean Gene next who runs down the card until Chris Jericho saunters out saying that he is a scoop for Gene Mean uh, he says he gave everyone a look at Jericho's backstage life on Thursday but one person was watching it who didn't like it someone who he thinks uh, is the only chance he, he- Someone who thinks that he is the only champion who should be afforded these amenities. Bill Goldberg. He said, Goldberg has been whining and complaining. And as soon as he said, Goldberg has been whining and complaining, Gene is just incensed. And he's like, get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) He says he he called Jericho on his cell phone. And he said, you got to put your money where his mouth is. And he accepted. So Jericho has announced it's Jericho versus Goldberg tonight. Title for title. Gene immediately suspicious of this announcement he's like I, I'm gonna go check on this basically um, but yeah uh, we are just launching headlongly into the, the Jericho Greenberg feud the feud that would ultimately push uh, Chris Jericho out of this company unfortunately but yeah, yeah th- this is a little time period to save her for us especially considering we're gonna do a Knights of Nitro in this period as well so yeah, I'm very much looking forward to whatever we get to see of this over the next month. For sure. Our opening contest is a tag team match pitting the Dancing Fools of Alex Wright and Disco Inferno against uh, Jim Neidhart and Davy Boy Smith. Um, kicking off this match, we've got Davy and Alex Wright. And I-, I like the very start of this match. I think uh, Davy is like bumping around and, and selling a bit for Alex Wright. He- I-, I think this is the best Alex Wright has looked in a while. Did you think? Yeah, uh, actually, it, it does actually start as a pretty decent match. Um, yeah. The one bit that confused me was the USA chance when Alex Wright and Bulldog were in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> Let it not be said that uh, the fans in Winston-Salem are the smartest people in the world. Yeah. It's like they're, they're, <laughs> they're just saying that, like, yes, yes, Jim and Davey are foreign, but they're not as foreign as Alex Wright is, basically. Um, what what can you do? Um, <laughs> I suppose they were confused by the fact that he was wearing red, white, and blue. Yeah. Um, you'd kind of expect the two kind of like big names in wrestling here in Jim and Davey to be kind of steamrolling through the comedy dorks here. So it's kind of refreshing that Davey is giving right more than I I would have expected. Um, I did like um. There's one point where where Wright goes to to monkey flip him, and he just cartwheels out of it, which was like really smooth. Yeah, that that, that, that caught me by surprise totally. Like, you didn't see that much of that from uh, 1998 or 1997 British Bulldog. Yeah, and it was funny because the 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 way he sold it on his face was almost like he wasn't expecting himself <laughs> to be able to pull it off. Like muscle memory, he just did it and was like, oh fuck, what's that? Yeah. Yeah, in the early parts of this match, though, where the kind of partners are tagging in now, I do love how, like I said, Davey has given Alex Wright loads of the match. But when it comes to Jim and Disco, Jim extends no such courtesy and he's just slapping Disco around the place. I, I genuinely think that in 1998, the Anvil does not know how to sell. 
Yeah, there, there, there's one point where uh, Jim and Disco are on the outside and Disco tries to, er, uh, sorry, Jim tries to hang Disco up on the rails outside and Mike refers to Jim as Jim Nideville and Tony and Brain just <laughs> mercilessly rip him about it. What was he even going for with Nideville? I have no idea, but I'll tell you what, like there is no quarter given by the other two. They just love, because t- today obviously is a guy who prepares and he knows so much about wrestling and we've all heard about like his meticulous tape collection and stuff like that over the years. So it's it's like when you're in school and the smartest lad in the class gets an answer wrong and everybody gets a fit of the giggles. Yeah, everyone like, goes, ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's basically what happened. Um, at one point, Davey goes to hang Disco up on the ropes, but he, I, I think he was, he wasn't as close to the ropes as he thought he was, and Disco misses the top rope and appears to almost like legit hang himself up on the middle rope throat first, which looked yeah. like it sucked. It looked absolutely fucking rough. Like, I know whatever, like going for the hotshot, like there was a lot of hotshots on this show for some reason. Everyone was using this fucking move in 1998. Mm. but like Disco missing the top rope and just dropping onto the middle did not look nice at all no uh, Brain uh, is on commentary talking about his kind of promising to, to make his prediction for the War Games match later and he'd be doing this on Thursday where he had been saying for all thunder that he was going to announce his prediction and then he just didn't Um, and they kind of just go they try to pin him down like no 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 like tell us now who's gonna win it and he said well he's leaning towards piper at the moment but as the show would go on he'd kind of pull away from piper and and still go back to well anyone could win it um so Wright gets the hot tag and comes in and hits an enormous missile drop kick followed by a picture perfect standard drop kick uh and that's when it happens lee um so this is kind of it's another one of these like when it happened to buff and we know that there was a big injury coming out of that it's it's tough to talk about these mm-hmm. things sometimes um this is the match that effectively i know he does wrestle again he has a short period in the wwf but this is as we know it essentially the end of the british bulldogs career um yeah th- because- th- th- this is like totally unnecessarily damaged this man's back this match yeah so there is a a trap door in the ring that would later be used for warriors entrance and i don't know whether it was a thing that they didn't think that bumping on the trap door would be bad or they lost track of where the trap door was under the ring but either way uh bulldog takes uh his so there's three I noticed there was three bumps that happened in the vicinity of where the trapdoor must have been and um, according to his Wikipedia and what other people have said about it is that two of the bumps were directly on the trapdoor now we know one of them was off the the big back body drop mm-hmm. like it's very clear when he takes the big back body drop that he's fucked up um, but he takes a drop kick here is the first one um, right onto the same area and then he takes the back body drop and then when disco comes in he appears to take a double clothesline back bump onto it as well yeah. so two of those three bumps are what basically did him in the injury he sustained here um would cause a spinal infection that would end up nearly paralyzing him and he would end up in hospital for six months 
um, which is incredible when you consider that he finishes this match late. He not only does he finish the match, he kind of he, he walks out and you know just you're none the wiser. This man's back has to be an absolute fucking agony. Like yeah. apart from, apart from him struggling to get Disco up for the power slam, like that is the yeah. only telltale tell, tell sign that something is wrong. Yeah, he like he he struggles with that power slam for a while. Still manages to get him up, mm-hmm. which I I just cannot imagine how. Um, but apart from that, and I think there's one point. Um, I think after the, I think it's after the double clothesline where he winces and he says something to either the ref or to Disco to let them know that like something isn't right. Um, but yeah, as you say. He, he somehow managed with great difficulty to get Disco up and power slam him uh, for the win for himself and Nightheart. Uh, it's also worth noting that uh, Bulldog was one of the, the number of people WCW famously fired while nursing an injury via FedEx. Um, so yeah, classy. Uh, and as we'd say, as we said earlier, he ends up going back to WWF for a short period of time um, where he has his radically different look in his in his jeans and he's clearly Lee from from what I remember I haven't re-watched too much of his his later period WWF matches but he's very clearly a shell of himself when he comes back from this oh yeah he's totally not the same person at all I mean so much mm-hmm. so that they turn him into like a comedy guy with the mean tree posse yeah um, and he's doing the where's my title shot bit mm-hmm. and you know um, he throws a bin at Steph and <laughs> I think in 2020 people will appreciate that a bit more than they would have at the time yeah it was yeah it's such a shame to see someone's like you know not like he was tearing up trees or in the world title picture in WCW but to see anybody's career cut short like this and you know we'd never know where he would end up having been and this obviously um, is where he develops uh, an addiction to pain pills Mm -hmm. um, which would ultimately lead to very serious problems for the end of his life um so yeah tragic and sad and this is the it's weird to say this is the last time we'll we'll ever see him on this program he never returns to wcw no and it's one of those things like when you look at what bulldog had contributed to wwe in like 96 97 to see how little wcw made use of him after he came over in 1998 yeah. like put him in a tag team at Anvil I mean just absolute lazy like just fucking nonsense like the man could have contributed something worthwhile and the fact that he got injured in a fucking pay-per-view opener with Disco and Alex that like had no backstory just totally unnecessary and they absolutely could have just used the other ring this is my thing is that like they were doing this thing where each match would switch rings it's like they really could have just kept every other match in the ring that didn't have the trap door and I, I don't think anybody would have thought anything you know I don't think anyone would have thought oh the other ring must be gimmicked like, no, like- I just it really wholly unnecessary and just yet another case of WCW that like maybe thinking oh we just need to do things to pop ratings and get people talking rather than think about the practicality of anything like if they really wanted to like find a reason right stick the commentators back by ring two and just say just for for ease of our viewing every match is going to take place in in ring two up until war games there you go there's a simple reason 
Yeah. I, I think even um, the vast majority, I'm trying to think when, when NXT TakeOver has done their War Games pay-per-views, uh, their TakeOvers, should I say, and I think like the vast majority of those matches all take place in one ring until War Games as well, and nobody ever thinks any different of it. But look, you know, we could end up talking about this and the carelessness of WCW forever, but we shall move on. Um, And Mean Gene is backstage, and he's here to verify a rumour that Scott Steiner versus Rick Steiner would not be happening tonight. Um, Scott and Buff emerge from the dressing room, and the two of them look fucking ridiculous. <laughs> um, Buff is in his big old hat and his, his dungarees, and... Um, Scott Steiner is in like a horrendous pair of like Zubas, um, and they're just an absolute clown show, and, and I love it. Um, he says there are a lot of fans here tonight, but he points out he's got an ice pack on his back and he's got this teeny tiny plaster <laughs> on his bicep, and he insists that the the it's a shoot plaster, basically, is what he's saying. He actually he actually he's... uses those words. That's a shoot plaster. And he says that he's injured inside and out. But he says Buff can elaborate. He's obviously too injured to talk about it. Uh, Buff says that they have an official document from Dr. Cecil Schwartz, the greatest doctor in the USA, as he says. Gene calls shenanigans and summons J.J. Dillon. And like J.J. Dillon walks right into frame as soon as he... He he beckons him, which is great because it like it just means JJ was just hanging around behind the camera, just rambling nearby. Um, JJ looks the document up and down. He's like, uh huh, uh huh. And he says it's very unfortunate that they produced this bogus document. <laughs> he says Scott either wrestles tonight or he will be barred from WCW for life. Tears up the letter and the lads chase him, a- chase after him down the corridor. Very very upset. Um, I like this. <laughs> I thought this was great. Just a great little backstage segment between matches. Um, Ste- yeah. Steiner is, is brilliant, like picking up the, the ripped shards of the letter, chasing after JJ, like basically crying. And uh, I, I just have to show some love for Buff's outfit. The white, oh, the white dungarees, the top hat. Oh, just, yeah. just what a look. He's just living large. Um, I, I did kind of... Um, it wasn't quite the level of him being wheeled out with half his body in a cast that we got at Road Wild, but you know it was up there. I, I liked it. So <clears throat> next up, Jericho's music hits and it plays for a while until we go back and it's another vignette of him getting lost backstage with the Jericho Holic Ninja and Ralphus. And you know what, Lee? Still funny. Ah, oh, it still fucking had me popping. Like the the ninja is like full on like banging himself into like tapping on his chest and has a big smile on his face as Jericho is screaming come on uh, I think it's Minnesota or something he says yeah <laughs> I, I, I I had forgotten they did this twice like I was as soon as it started happening again I was like oh my god this is great uh, Chris walks into catering um, walks back out the next door is locked he nearly ends up outside. I love this. So he opens up the door and he realizes he's nearly outside again. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm not falling for that again. <laughs> uh, at, at which point, Tony is just muttering under his breath. This is really sad. And then, like, can somebody help this lost idiot? I think he calls him Jerishmo at some stage. Yeah. <laughs> Jericho finally arrives in the arena and he goes to do the Goldberg pyro and the thing just spits out a couple of sparks. <laughs> at which point, Bobby Heenan lost it. He's like, 
Bobby is like he's great for um stone facing and making other people break on air, but this is one of the rare times where something happened and Bobby Heenan just he just lost the run of himself. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, what's this? He says he's like two cherry bombs and it's all over. <laughs> I think <laughs> this- Jer- Jericho kicks the pyro at some stage. Yeah, yeah, it throws a proper tantrum. Um, I loved it. It was kind of it reminds me of that time in in AEW where um, Orange Cassidy had the very lackluster Orange Cassidy esque pyro, um, where it just kind of just sputtered out. Low effort, uh, I, low effort pyro for a low effort man. Yeah, I loved it. Um, this is great. So now it's to be Jericho versus Goldberg, or is it Lee? A figure emerges from the pyro, and it's very much not Goldberg. Oh uh, no, you are underselling this. The, yeah, go for it. The music hits and the crowd go fucking mental. Yeah. And the camera never shows the entrance. You don't see Goldberg walking backstage. You just see the fans are fucking on their feet, cheering for Goldberg. Next thing you hear the pyro beginning. And then the camera pans. And as the pyro is spitting, you you have Shivani bigging it up. There's the man or uh, Heenan bigging it up like the man, he's here, and the pyro stops. And it's very much not Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's great because the pyro stops and I'd say it's a good five seconds after the pyro stops before the crowd start to realise. Mm-hmm. So the, the people at the ramp immediately realise and you can hear them not being very happy about it. But I'd say he's most of the way to the ring before the rest of the crowd can see that it's not him. And oh my God. This is... So there's a couple of times on this show... This is one of the ones where they were trying to get a reaction from the crowd but there's a kind of cumulative effect of maybe two or three occasions on this show of either trying to get heat or just having something shitty happen where the crowd nearly turns on the show and they are so unhappy about this. Uh, They're chanting bullshit and not for the last time tonight Uh, and Jericho basically squashes this guy. Um, The one thing I really liked about this, I think it's maybe, it's less than 90 seconds I would say, Mm in the middle of this, fake Goldberg actually has the nerve to hit a spear. A sham spear. <laughs> yeah. He hits a sham spear, which Jericho is obviously like, that wasn't in the script. And he flips out and just starts stomping him starts, to bits and then taps him with the lion's He just starts booting him, shouting at him, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is some part of it. <laughs> it's really good. Jericho then takes the toy belt Goldberg had come out with and it it's not quite bending properly so he just rips it up. Um you know, I think this segment worked for me. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is if I'm booking WCW and I see some of the things that the crowd are not going to be happy with in very quick succession coming up on this show, I maybe wouldn't have done it because I'm like, okay, you know, once bitten, twice shy with trying to get a crowd to to shit on things. Do you, do you know um, what would have made it work? Go on. If Goldberg had a match later on in the show. Yeah. Or if, if you know, he ripped up the belt and he was celebrating an actual Goldberg yes, came and out. and he ran away or something. Yes. But, like, ult- ultimately, um, like, the ultimate payoff here is Goldberg pinning Jericho. Yeah. Like, and, and that's what we need to get to. And how we get there doesn't matter. Like, it's going yeah. to be entertaining as fuck, but ultimately, it just needs to be Goldberg pinch Jericho. That's it. Yeah, it's simple. So, and that's the thing, you know, we, we say it time again, time again, and anybody I think watches wrestling over a sustained period of time, 
uh, will tell you that like a lot of the time wrestling is at its best when you're not overthinking it. Uh, and like you say, what we want to do is ha- get ourselves to a conclusion where Goldberg gets his hands on Jericho where you, and where you want to see Goldberg get his hands on Jericho. Mm-hmm. And it ma- it, it's, it's less important about individual steps along the way once you're keeping that general kind of trajectory on and you're not overthinking and um, overcomplicating things before that. It, it's the cla- um, classic idea of booking backwards. You book from the point you want to yeah. get to and you go back and how you yeah. get there. Like that, it's just fucking easy, simple booking. And the fact that they, mm-hmm. they don't do it properly is just unbelievable. Yeah. We're in the internet location very briefly now with Rick Steiner, who uh, Staggerly asked him how hard is today for his family and said he was forced into a corner to fight out of and he's going to do what he has to do tonight. So the kind of remorseful, you know, I don't want to have to fight my brother, but my brother has given me no choice and I'm going to beat the shit out of him. So that was, that, that was good little stuff from from Rick Steiner there uh, we get flashback to the Armstrongs getting beaten up outside by the cat but there's no kind of indication that it was a flashback even though we've already seen it before you know it didn't say oh we saw this on Thunder it was just like as if it had just happened kind of thing the, uh, the, the most I, important part we learned about this is that it was Bobby Heenan in the window yeah <laughs> and I, I love I you know I could watch this segment time and time again just to see that one Armstrong get booted in the chops again <laughs> <laughs> got me all over again next up we have cat versus norman smiley cat is on the mic uh and he's saying by law he's got to inform norman smiley that he is a three-time world karate champion uh which i think in the last three in the three minutes preceding him saying that had been mentioned maybe four times um so they're Dave, really Dave, Dave, did you know he's a three-time karate champion I, I just found that out, Lee. Funnily enough, that's a great trivia fact there because he hardly ever mentions it. Do you think it's on his Wikipedia? I, I don't know. I, he's priming himself for a martial arts division run, I can tell. Um, he I, says I he, hope he never wins the martial arts division title. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> um, he says he can finish off an opponent in five seconds, but seeing as Norman Smiley is a brother, he will turn around and give him five seconds to leave. He turns around and Smiley clocks him to begin the match. Um, Smiley shows a, a nice bit of fire here early, Lee, and he's kind of uh, knocking Cat around, uh, throws him to the outside. Cat begs off, but then jumps him as the referee is talking to Smiley. Um, gets back in with Cat in control, having the heat. Um, here's the thing, Lee, and we'll kind of talk about it as we get to the finish here. Um, like, Ernest Miller is not very good. The, the, um, the thing is the cat fucking stinks that that's yes. the whole fucking thing i came away from this match with the cat just isn't very fucking good and he should not be on television yeah and but here's the thing i, I was gonna say like by contrast is that you know the way we talked because we, we saw him a lot on early thunders seeing hugh mars and going how was that guy in charge of developmental for so long by contrast, you look at Norman Smiley and go, this is the exact guy you want teaching the beginners classes because he's got all the fundamentals down pat. Now, like mm-hmm. he's not my favorite wrestler in the world by any stretch. Don't don't misunderstand me there. But he's got good fire. He's technically quite proficient. 
he knows when to sell and how to sell quite well. Like this is obviously before he's just shrieking all the time when he's doing the screaming Norman Smiley bit. And I'm just watching him here. I'm going, you know what? Like, I actually understand why he has the job he has now. Oh, yeah. Like, Smiley is not going to, like, he's not going to mess up, like, three spots in a row and, like, have a match fall apart. Mm. He isn't that type of rev. Like, he is, he's not also not going to blow you away. It's the old classic uh, high floor, low ceiling fucking wrestler. Like, he, he's yeah. not going to have a four-star match, but he's also not going to have a two-star match. Yeah. And he, um, his base level of competence makes him look like the best wrestler on this show so far. Um, <laughs> which tells it's more a reflection on the roster than on him, I think. I was just going to say that's damning with fame praise right there, like. Yeah, he takes Cat up to the top who kind of does the slap in the ears, discombobulates him and pushes him off the ropes. This, I just, the cringe of this, he goes for the feliner off the top rope and slips off the top rope so it looks like absolute dog shit. He whiffs so fucking badly. Like, so badly misses on this. And then he just, like, not satisfied to just take the pin. He picks him up and he does it again from the ground and then he wins. Possible match, but mainly just because of Norman Smiley here. Mm-hmm. Um, the cat rolls out of the ring, but forgets he was supposed to say something on the mic. So he rolls back in, gets on the mic, says, I'm the greatest and leaves. Um, so thankfully it didn't outstay its welcome, at least. Um, next up, I thought this was, they did a dramatic video package recapping the Steiner feud that I thought was pretty decent. Yeah, not often we get like a very good video package building up a match, but... This was very good. Like, it went right from the torn all the way through everything. Like, I don't know. Like, I think Rick came off as a fucking moron, believing his brother was going to join back with him straight away. Yeah, it's like the idiot baby face trope that I hate so much in wrestling. Then you also see, like, Bagwell faking the injury, which becomes a fucking important factor in a few minutes. Faking the the, the, the neck injury afterwards and rejoining the NWO. And mm. it's once again, Rick's a fucking idiot. Yeah. So, you know, when, now, I was just going to say, when you see the finish of this match, you come away with one conclusion. Rick Steiner's a idiot. fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what isn't stupid about Rick, and that's his fake welcome to the jungle theme, which absolutely rules. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Scott with Buff Bagwell versus Rick. Um, I can't believe you're just going to gloss over his woof woof entrance. Oh, well, look, it's... It's certainly there. He's like, Welcome to the dog pound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's quite something. <laughs> I, I've, I've never been a big fan of the, the woof 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 thing. <laughs> I just, I don't get it. You know, I suppose this is the height of home improvement and Tim Allen doing the woof woof woof. So it's, it's popular just to make noise. <laughs> like Tim that. Allen and Rick Steiner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Peas in a fucking podly. I've always said it. Maybe you could have replaced the name. What are your man that does the show with him? What's his name? Uh I can't remember the guy that's on the, the tool time show with, with uh Tim Allen. Oh yeah, his mate, so it's just Tim Allen and what Rick Steiner instead doing tool time. Yeah, Tim Tim yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Rick Steiner in his headgear. <laughs> um so yeah, the two lads are out here, Scott is hesitant to get in the ring. But when he does, 
they just start throwing bombs at each other and like for about 30 seconds this is the best match of the night yes this was exactly what I wanted this match to be just two brothers fighting it didn't have to have wrestling moves just have two brothers fucking laying into each other yeah because one of the worst things in wrestling Lee is when you have like a blood feud between two hated enemies and they get in and they start doing holds so start with a top wrist lock yeah so what you have is two guys who are obviously they're accomplished wrestlers but they're also badasses mm-hmm. um, and they get in the ring and they really don't like each other um, and yeah they just start throwing bombs and Rick hits a lariat and I'm like I'm loving this and Scott is bumping around like a madman uh, bails out of the ring to catch his breath Rick follows him up to not give him a breath knocks him into the railing Scott climbs <laughs> I love this Scott like climbs over the railing to try and get away and Rick is like oh no you don't and clobbers him mm-hmm. Um, back in the ring and Buff is trying to distract the ref as, as Scott uh, he, he spins out of a belly to belly attempt and hits two not one but two low blows <laughs> on Rick just for good measure uh, Scott Scott has the heat now and takes Rick to the outside smashing his head into the steps into the fence uh, he attempts a he, they're back in and he attempts a butterfly suplex uh, Rick hits a couple of body blows and a huge DDT love a good DDT yeah. Lee this this is a good one from Rick um, what do you think before we get into the uh, the kind of the uh, the what happens here at the end what, what did you think of this match I think this was on course to be one of the better matches of the night and then I, I really feel like as we're about to talk about the finish was just bollocks it's like I said, like this is what I wanted this match to be. They just beat the ever loving shit out of each other for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Then it comes down into like a nice little heat segment where it's just Scott Steiner beating the piss out of his brother, mm. and he can't put him away. And it's just Rick is making his comeback, and then we get to the finish. Yeah. So um, we have Buff on the apron, but Rick goozles him and runs him head first into the post. Uh, which gives Scott an opening and and he throws uh, Rick's bad shoulder into the steps. Rick firing up now, but the ref is tending to Buff, who had, I, I think the best way to put it is he sold being run into the post like a cartoon character. Um, so because of this, they do the injury angle, which ends the match with, uh, with Buff being uh, potentially paralyzed again but because he sold it so woefully mm-hmm. the crowd knew the fuck finish was coming and from minute one here bullshit chance no one yeah bullshit mm-hmm. no one bought it in the crowd and what makes it worse is they're all chatting bullshit and they're all booing as he eventually gets stretched mm-hmm. out but what i don't like about it as well it's one of the things i hate when there's an injury angle is they're selling it like the man is dying you know, on commentary, mm-hmm. the way they're doing the, the hushed tones and stuff like that. And like on a show where one man's career, you know, unbeknownst to them, obviously, they don't know how bad it is yet. One man's career effectively already ended that night. We had seen Buff's actual injury a few months beforehand, and this wouldn't be the last career ending or shortening injury we'll see in WCW. It just never sits right with me really when they do the fake odd tones you know it's not quite when we've had uh like when vince mcmahon fake died and they did a 10 bell salute for him uh but it's yeah it's just it feels a bit tasteless to me for me one of the worst parts of it Hmm. is rick steiner constantly coming over and screaming he better be hurt yeah 
because that instantly kills any credibility that the segment had or that the, the injury angle had like it's just like you're, you're telling me this isn't real because we saw yeah. how, how rick steiner reacted when buff got hurt yeah it also like within kayfabe it, it's telling you that rick is suspicious but they still trick him <laughs> you know like it, it it's just it coming so soon after buff was legitimately hurt it is tasteless like it really is and yeah. it, i know it's using a real life situation and making it an angle and sometimes that's good but i don't know it's like even the commentators are like saying oh well you know his mother could be watching or somebody contacted his mom and it, yeah. it's just like <sighs> and i think as well the length of time it goes on mm-hmm. for like it goes on so long that it really tries to convince you that it's real um the one thing that I did enjoy during this that made me kind of chuckle a little bit was that they were talking about how, like, Tony has experience with neck injuries. And he's talking like, well, since my neck surgery, my neck is extremely strong. <laughs> he totally knows how to. <laughs> yeah. This is like, as if to go, oh, this dude's a wuss. <laughs> um, the thing that really kind of added to the bad taste of it was going backstage and having Bischoff, quote unquote, break character mm-hmm. and be following them to the ambulance. In his civilian clothes, not, not NWO Bischoff. This was boss man Bischoff. Yeah, and Rick shouting, did he want somebody, did, did they want somebody to call Judy Bagwell? Um, Scott starts heading off in the, uh, <laughs> I did appreciate, so they get into the ambulance and Scott just gets in in his gear. And I just love the idea. Like, obviously, they didn't go to the hospital because it's a fake injury angle. But um, I just love the idea of them turning up to a local medical facility and the doors opening and Big Papa Pump just getting out. That that's you know what? That's an episode of Grey's Anatomy I would watch. Absolutely, like in the sunglasses <laughs> and everything. I God, I'd love it. The I'd ch- love to see that. The chain mail on his head. Yeah. Um. So as soon as Rick goes to walk away from the ambulance, the two lads spring out of it and jump him. And the one thing I did like about this, um, they do the injury angle. Rick looks like an idiot. They look craven for faking the injury angle so soon after he really had got his neck fucked up. Uh, the one thing I did appreciate about this was Bobby Heenan playing the role of me watching this. And he seemed legitimately disgusted. Mm-hmm. You know, like Tanae and Tony are like, oh, God, you know, it was reprehensible. They're playing into the storyline. But like Bobby Heenan was just like, oh, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, he didn't like it at all. Well, that's a man that has had, like, neck injuries and, like, legit, like, fucking, was it in a bad way because of neck issues and seeing this being faked, I'm assuming. Because, like, this is the thing, like, people don't think of. Like, we watched that show and the three commentators were genuinely upset. Yeah. Like, they weren't the same for that episode at all. This was a friend of theirs that was... His life was in danger. Like, yeah, there's no other way of saying it. Mm-hmm. And then to play it off like this, and I'm assuming Heenan wasn't aware that they were going to do that. Well, this is the thing as well as like Bischoff has a long history of trying to work the boys. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm never a hundred percent sure in any given situation how much the commentary knows about what's happening. Like, the, like the the Jericho bit, Heenan wasn't aware the pyro was going to be that way. It genuinely yeah. popped them. So to say he wasn't aware that they were going to do an injury angle, I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't know. Yeah, yeah, no, I would completely agree with that. Our next match up uh, is Hoovy versus Silver King 2 for the Cruiserweight title. 
And then I was kind of thinking to myself, God, after all the shite we've been through so far on this show, because God, it has been poor so far. Maybe there's a chance for something a bit decent. Um, the, They're still going on at the start here about how incensed they are with Buff. And Tony in one of his... I was trying to come up with a good line on commentary and it just was a miss. He goes, there's a new form of jerk out there and it's called a buff. (laughs) (laughs) I totally Um, missed that. That's fucking horrendous. (laughs) Yeah, didn't like that. But I did like how Brain, having recovered from the shock of what happened in the last segment, is now trying to figure out a way that it's Hogan's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Very on brand for Brain. Yeah. Um... The match starts off with Silver King playing the Derudo here, acting. Um, I, I, this is one of my favorite things. Like uh, when you do the subtle heel bit, is when you act like the dude isn't up to your level, and then as he does increasingly impressive things and starts to get the better of you, it's like you're getting frustrated and thrown off your game plan. Uh, and that's the role that that Silver King mm-hmm. is, is playing here in, in this match. As Hoovy gets more momentum in, he's just getting frustrated and annoyed. Um, a head scissors from Hoovy sends King rolling out of the ring, and he's deeply unhappy at this point um i don't think lee that this reached the level of that sprint we had on thunder um i think this was kind of just a very bang average match and and part of it was just that i don't don't think the crowd was on board for this for one second they had had two successive segments where they ended up chatting bullshit (laughs) um and the last thing they wanted then is two guys that like even though they're proficient wrestlers that in the grand scheme of things, WCW has conditioned you not to care about. See, I think the match itself was very good. Yeah. I I would actually put it up there with the, the little sprints that we saw on Thunder. But, right. like you say, it's the, the fan investment just wasn't there on this one. Whereas the fans like were super into Hoovy on Thunder. I yeah. think the show had already worn the fans down at this point. Mm-hmm. So, but like I have to say, chemistry between Hoovy and Silver King I've like watching Hoovy over the last couple of months really like I, I said on Twitter more people need to be going back and re-watching this era of Hoovy because yeah dude is super fucking over and I want to say like everything posts like the flock feud yeah Hoovy has been fucking very very good yeah he's he you can see his improvement when you're watching all this stuff like we are um I still think he's at the point in his career where he needs to be in there with somebody the right person mm. I, I don't think he's at the point where he can just have a good match with anybody but we've seen him have good matches with a Kidman mm-hmm. and we've seen two matches that are pretty decent with Silver King now Um, you put it on this uh, on a similar level to the first one I, I think this is a little bit behind Um, but yeah it, like he's definitely coming on uh, and progressing here um, against the right opponents Um. I love in one of the most left field references, um, the the lads take the cue. So the, the boring chance had started at this point. The crowd weren't feeling it, and they decide to up the tempo. And King drop kicks Hoovy to the outside and follows them with a triangle plancha. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Brain just says, I, "I was not prepared for this." Just going, you won't see Pete Sampras do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I totally missed him saying that bit. And then they were sort of talking about Pete Sampras for a minute. I was like, why are they talking about Pete Sampras? <laughs> yeah, I think it was like Tanay or somebody that was basically like, yeah, like, I, I guess you wouldn't see Pete Sampras do that. Kind of like, that's completely different sports, but I, I get what you mean. I suppose Pete Sampras <laughs> was like in his pomp in 1998. So, you know, yeah. it's topical. I was trying to think, was this the time of the year? I didn't look it up. US right Open. Now, it was, 
Yeah, where some tennis tournament was preempting wrestling and somebody was annoyed and fed it to the commentators. Late, late summer, so you're talking Wimbledon would have been over. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the US Open is around this time. Yeah, so maybe that's they're, they're annoyed about that. Um, match goes on for a while, it's back and forth. King attempts a splash into the corner. Hoovy sidesteps and he ends up uh, hung up on the top ropes. Gets up and hits the inverted Frankensteiner, which is incredible. Like, I... I oh. I fucking lost in 1998 for seeing a fucking poison rana. (laughs) Yeah. Off the top. It's like, it's one of those things where like we see it so much now. Uh, Something the two of us were talking about earlier on the show. We were talking about that Sasha Bailey match. Mm -hmm. That's the poison rana leading straight into the finish. And after that match, I was seeing it twice a show on every indie I've been to since Mm -hmm. probably. Um, so yeah, seeing this in 1998 lost my goddamn mind and like fucking Silver King is a big unit to be doing that. Um Now so, to be to be fair, he doesn't take it like a rana bump, he takes it like a moonsault. Yes. But, you know, still But still like guy. I mean, like, fuck, I, yeah. look, I would not take a fucking move on the top of my head off a fucking top rope. Yeah, damn straight. I would not take a move off a top rope. <laughs> Onto anything. <laughs> Um, Hoovy then calls for the Hoovy driver. He gets dead weighted and rolled up for two, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. I love that when you use the kind of momentum to dead weight somebody and roll them up. Uh, King goes to do a a really cool springboard like triangle moonsault and eats shit on it. Uh, Hoovy then hits the Hoovy driver, but like it's weird because it's distinctly the Hoovy driver, but because he doesn't do a wind up like he's gonna I'm gonna hit the move because he just hits the move very matter of factly the crowd do not react but he gets up on the top rope and he hits the 450 which got a massive Mm -hmm. reaction from this crowd that hadn't been into the match but they saw the flip so they were happy (laughs) um yeah pretty decent I would put it about in the middle I think the poison rana and the 450 are what really kind of uh like uh, add a nice little topping to it but uh, I, yeah I think just before the Poison Rana um, Silver King does a fucking magnificent super kick like yeah. he nails Hoovy and I was just I just saw that and I was like that should be his fucking finish mm. Um, I was looking just for the crack because I, I knew how bad the main event was on this show at this time I was looking up the Pro Fight DB because they have um they list the Observer star ratings for all the pay-per-view matches mm. this match got two stars which oh, I thought was very harsh Jesus come on and like I probably would have gone three you know I wouldn't have gone high above three that's for sure um but I think two is very very harsh altogether um we have Conan in the internet location Scott Hall stumbles into the scene saying that he heard his name being mentioned Conan wishes he'd take his own advice for once uh, Scott says that what he does in his own time is his business and he throws a drink at Conan uh, which helps to set up the match for later um, then we have another very decent video package that kind of it, not all of but it sums up kind of the latest happenings in the Saturn versus Raven match the indentured servitude angle um, which got me, you know, I think it was a good recap if you'd missed some of it, Lee, and kind of set the scene quite nicely. Sorry, Dave, I'm just wiping Guinness off myself as my second can spilled all over me. <laughs> <laughs> I I heard a can and then some silence, and I, I thought something might have happened. <laughs> <laughs> Monuments to professionalism on this show, that's for sure. 
I'm now, that's I'm now just trying to avoid spilling it all over the place as I pour it. <laughs> that's just how excited you are for the next match oh, that we're going to listen, talk about. Listen, listen, this is the moment of the podcast I have been waiting for. The, oh, like the the build up package had me ready for. It. Yeah. I knew the results coming into it. Yeah. I was not ready for this match. Oh my god! Right. Let, let's just get into it while Lee cleans himself up. Uh, it's Raven versus Saturn for the future of the flock under Raven's rules. And it's a mad title match. Don't forget. And I guess a martial arts division championship match. Uh, Penzer announces additionally, this is a rule, cha- a rule change that has been announced since Thunder, uh, that Canyon is to be handcuffed to ringside. Now something that I've always had a problem with with the handcuffed to ringside thing is that, you know, if you're going by the internal logic of these angles I don't know why you couldn't handcuff Canyon backstage and far away from the ring because the fans couldn't see him yeah exactly this is the, this is the thing it, it's not very televisual uh, to just say he's locked up backstage you need to have him out there it's the whole thing of having them in a share cage up above the ring when they have him in a share yeah. cage like up above the commentators yeah or across the road in another building yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Saturn is out but Raven is on the mic saying that uh saying that Saturn has been an embarrassment for far too long and tonight begins the beginning of his permanent indentured servitude. Saturn says tonight is all about honour and Raven has none. Win or lose tonight, he keeps his integrity. Um, And this starts off at quite a pace. Saturn is looking to end it quite early, hitting high impact moves left, right and centre. Hitting what I... Like, I'm at this point, Lee, because we've seen him do it half a dozen times or more. At this point in 1998, I'd be hard pushed not to say that Saturn has the best splash in the business. Do you know what? It, it's something I've never, I've never considered. But he does do it a lot. And you might be right. He, It, it does look impressive. Yeah. You know, like when, when people normally hit a splash, you're kind of just like a uh, top rope splash. You're like, okay, like, you know, it looks like a move that has a reasonable amount of impact, but it doesn't look like lethal. When when Saturn hits it, like one, it's a picturesque splash, mm. like the height he gets on it, the hang time he gets on the splash. And it's not nothing fancy about it. And when he lands on somebody, he lands with such an impact. Uh, I love it. I, I could watch him hit that thing all day long. Um, they really are bigging up Saturn on commentary here. They talk, they talk about him like he's a wild dog. They compare him to to Mad Dog Vashon. Um, they Tanay points out, you know, we we were saying he's a wild dog or he's a killer here. Well, you should know he was trained by Killer Kowalski, mm. so they're really putting forward his CV here as an accomplished wrestler. Oh yeah, like that, like that. I think that was something I knew about the Kowalski connection, but like yeah. We've seen, like, as uh, Saturn has, like, separated himself from the flock, they are really pushing that this guy is legit. This is a well-trained wrestler. This guy can fucking do it all, like... And, like, it feels like they're really trying with Saturn. And so they should, like... He genuinely is probably the in-ring highlight of every show. Um, Just following the the Kuller-Kowalski link, Saturn does what I can only compare to the Undertaker-WrestleMania dive. To the outsides. (laughs) Yeah, like again, like I said, we he's hitting all. He's hitting high risk moves. He's hitting great wrestling moves, and he's brawling away with Raven. And and you no, know, this isn't to sell Raven short because Raven's right there with him. And 
you know, I don't want to get into us gushing about Raven for their 20 minutes. <laughs> like I think we've done twice in recent months on the show, but like you want to talk about, this is like the nexus of two of maybe the most underrated dudes of their generation. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. like, look, we've said it. Uh, for me, Raven should have been in that fucking main event scene in 1999. Oh, like, how refreshing would it have been? Like, if if you had almost this exact feud, but it was for a world title. Like, ah, oh my God. It doesn't bear thinking about, really. Um, But yeah, so, like I said, they're kind of, they're putting over how he's a wild, brawling dog. He's an animal in the ring. He's so intense. Always at pains to point out the dude isn't he's not just a fighter he is an incredibly accomplished and polished wrestler to boot. Um, Lodi is trying to get at Saturn and eventually manages to pull him off the apron. Um, and into the railing, which gives Raven the heat. Um, showing Saturn's spirit, Raven is largely in control at this point, but Saturn won't go down. Um, another thing like I know is that so Saturn has one of the best splashes in the business another like very simple move that was done very well in this match Raven snapmares yeah oh god like, he actually do you know what he does a pair of Russian leg sweeps like he yeah. rolls through the first one into another one yes and I was just like I was watching that going nobody does Russian leg sweeps anymore why yeah yeah so yeah, he hits these like, and obviously you know you're only as good as uh, your your dancing partner when it comes to moves like snapmares. So he hits these two snapmares, and my god, they are, like buttery smooth, the pair of them. And then yeah, he hits his rolling Russian leg sweeps, and yeah, this is something that why do like I I, I get because it's so spectacular that people steal things like mm-hmm. poison ranas and and um destroyers and things like that but this is something really simple and cool looking that i think most like most decent in-ring wrestlers could pull off some rolling russian leg sweeps and no one is doing like and it's the thing like the russian leg sweep like the move itself it's it's always like i remember as a kid watching it was always told as the person doing the move gets hurt but if they put enough snap into it they're hurting the other person more and that's the, the payoff of the move yeah. And that's what I felt watching Raven do these couple of uh, Russian leg sweeps. But he's he's not just falling back into it. He's fucking thrown his body into these moves. Yeah. And after he throws in the second, he basically, in a very kind of MMA sort of situation, he, he essentially transitions into the mount. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's obviously, because the thing about the, 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 the story of the Raven heat spots in this match is that, you know, no matter what Raven's doing to him, Saturn just keeps coming. Yeah. So he, he he transitions into the mount and Saturn won't stay down. And he's trying to do the bit, which is something I love, where he's just trying to force Saturn's shoulders yeah. onto the ground and Saturn keeps posting up. Um, and Saturn resists. I, I was just going to say, I think at that stage, I think Heenan is the one that says he's like, do you know what it's like? It's like when you're in school and the bully just has you pinned down to the ground and yeah. they're not hurting you. They're just trying to prove a point. Yeah. And like, even though Saturn can't necessarily get out, mm-hmm. he still won't give up. And Raven does the thing where like when the guy posts and you kind of jump up and knee them in the legs to try yeah. and flatten their legs out to get the pin. Um, and he goes to do it and Saturn sticks both knees up straight into the groin. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something I, I haven't like that's a really clever way out of that situation so I like that and it works um, in Raven's rules obviously as well 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, Raven fed up at this point and gets a chair, comes in. He does the dreaded drop toe hold on the chair. The flock has now arrived. Now, this is the moment, Lee. I'm enjoying this match decently to this point. But from the moment this point the, forward, yeah. the flock gets involved, mm-hmm. I am... And this is like the whole, I would say, last four or five minutes of this match, basically, is a sequence of events. I have most of it written down here. But, you know, it's rare enough we will specify this on the show, folks. But when I say go back and just watch this match, I really mean it. Mm-hmm. What follows here is a sequence of events that is just, it's perfect pro wrestling for me. This is my wrestling. Everything makes sense. Everything builds. It finishes at the right moment. And very crucially, Lee, a crowd that had been dead for an hour is hopping up and down for this. I don't think I can add anything you just said there because... Like as you say, from this point forward, I can feel my leg twitching already because <laughs> just just talking about this, this yeah. is the perfect climax to the past two months of television. Mm-hmm. It all culminates to this point, and it's yes. all like you said, it's logical. Yeah, it's the crowd are fucking ravenous. There's near falls. The crowd, the crowd count with the pins. I yeah. can't tell you the last time. A crowd counted with the pins in WCW. Yeah. And, you know, it's something you had kind of said at the top of this match is that we both knew who wins this match. Mm-hmm. And I was still I was still biting on near falls. They, there is one. There is one near fall. And we'll, we'll talk about when you get to it. Yeah. So, the flock are here. Horace, Riggs, Sick Boy, Kidman. They're out. There's a table with them. Kidman is out on the far side. He perches himself on the top rope as the lads are setting up the table and he drop kicks Raven. Yeah, Raven had set Saturn up in position for the uh, shooting star press, the seven-year itch. Yeah. And he, he tells Kidman to, to hit it and he kind of steps back. Yeah. And Kidman thinks about it. And it's only a split second. Yeah. And he nails S- the missile drop kick on Raven. See, seeing his freedom dangling in front of him, he hits that missile drop kick. And the crowd go fucking mad. This is the point where they woke the fuck mm-hmm. up. They and, went crazy for this and, and they you, didn't calm down. And you know what? What? It makes perfect sense because Kidman must have won that. It makes sense that there was one of them that sat and got through to. Just one. It only yeah. had to be one. Yeah. That's all you had to get through to was one of them. One of the cult members to bring the whole house of cards down. Yeah. And it made sense that it was Kidman because he was the one that sat and said, you have all the talent in the world. You can be yeah. anything you want. You don't need Raven. Yeah. And do you know what? The, as well, to kind of um, make sense of everything, the flock Chase chased some, Kidman yeah. out of the building, which takes them off the table completely. Um, and obviously you can construe then as that is part of Kidman's plan is to lead the, the flock away. Saturn hits the Death Valley driver, but Mickey J is distracted briefly and Raven kicks out at 2.9. And it's not the last 2.9 kick out here in this match. And that, crowd... that, that that's the point that, that when he hits the DVD, the crowd yeah. go fucking mental. Yeah. And that's where they count. They count the one, two and the, the audible. Oh, when he yeah. kicks out. The crowd are firmly behind Saturn. They're even chanting Chance. his name yeah. and it's the loudest chanting on the show so far. Saturn ducks a clothesline and dumps him with a T-bone suplex. Big clothesline. 
belly to belly overhead suplex, slams him back to ground, does his rebound guillotine leg drop and a Michinoku driver. Um, and then Raven nearly catches Saturn with a roll up. Raven, and this is like, I this is one of the ones I nearly bit on as well. Raven attempts a clothesline. Saturn catches him in the rings of Saturn. And I was like, oh my God. Then Lodi breaks it up. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and um, so he gets up top as Raven is holding Saturn back. Saturn knocks down Raven, kicks the ropes so Lodi gets crotched on them. Saturn goes to whip Raven it gets reversed, a ref bump, and I'm like, oh no, shenanigans. We should mention that the ref bumps in the corner that Canyon is uh, is handcuffed to. So Canyon is able to get the key for the uh, handcuffs. Yeah, he, he gets the key, he frees himself, Canyon is now in the ring and everyone is dead. He hits the flatliner on Saturn and rolls Raven on top and cleverly gets out and cuffs himself again. And I'm like, oh fuck. But Saturn kicks out. And the crowd are losing it at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, Saturn hits a low blow, I think, at this stage on Raven. Yeah. And, and then, th- then he goes and gets Lodi off the top rope. Yeah. Grabs Lodi off the top rope and hits a Death Valley driver off the apron through the table that I had completely forgotten was mm-hmm. there. And that one of my favourite things like that shows how beautifully crafted a match is you set up a like a table or a stack of chairs or whatever that's going to play into the finish but then you distract everybody for long enough that they forget it's there i did the same as soon as he picked up he stepped out to the apron and he put Lodi on his shoulders i went the table (laughs) yeah and that's when it dawned on me i was just i was so into everything that was going on and there was one Go on, yeah. I was just going to say, and then after the DVD. Oh yeah, there was one. I think it was. I think it was a match we actually referenced in the show not long ago. Was it the um, the Kevin Owens Roman Reigns match at Royal Rumble where he had the stack of chairs? Was that not an Ambrose match? Oh, it was an Am. It was yes, yes. You know, you're yes, dead right because the two of them came out to the Rumble later on and were absolutely battered. Yes, uh, he had set up the big elaborate stack mm-hmm. of chairs like minutes before and you completely forget yeah. about it and then he gets absolutely creased into them. Um. So yeah, uh, oh God. So yeah, Death Valley Driver off the apron through the table. I was losing my mind. Saturn rolls into the ring straight into an oh. even flow from which 2.999 he kicks out at. Dev, I screamed. Yeah. Connor was watching the match with me. He screamed. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh. It was so good because it was like it was even flow and immediately into the cover. You know what I mean? I, so like you really bought it. I have to say, it is one of the best near falls I've ever yeah. seen. And I like I say, I know what happens here. I know who wins. Yeah. And you still bought and it. And I still bought it, and this is all I want from professional wrestling. Yeah. He goes to hit the even flow again, but Saturn runs him into the corner. Death Valley driver. Saturn wins. The flock is free. And this, my friend, is my new favourite match we've ever done on this show. I, 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 I said the same on Twitter. I, yeah. I fucking ad- I adore this match. Yeah. Like, I'm not given, in terms of, like, bell to bell, obviously, like, there are, you know, it's not a, a five-star technical wrestling classic or anything like this. But in terms of, like, 
storytelling in wrestling and a match that is put together with great psychology and is a great payoff to like you said this this chapter of the feud and also a lot of what had happened before the last two months where they were building to this match mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that has been going on with Raven and Saturn since we started this show it was so immensely satisfying in the way that only the best wrestling is it's one of those things where I I I can't because I, I can't give it five stars but also you know in my heart of hearts I want to <laughs> like in terms of execution and, and you know what if we hadn't have been watching all of the TV building up to this, mm. we wouldn't have been as invested. Yeah. And ultimately, that's what matters. Like, you, you can say to somebody, go watch this match. It has a great finish on the crowd or huh? Yeah. But when you've been watching over time and layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of stuff is added into this match and you yeah. have the canyon stuff, you have... Saturn getting through the Kidman you have Lodi finally getting his comeuppance yeah, it's yeah. just all of it and it just builds and builds and the crowd are just getting hotter and hotter mm-hmm. the commentators are fucking near screaming by the end of the match yeah and this like this is this is the pinnacle of this show of like our run so far for me like yeah. Go- Go- and- Goldberg's win was great don't get me wrong yeah and it got like ultimately Goldberg's title win is something that every fucking wrestling fan knows about and remember and it's a really special moment but for pure investment yeah it's this moment and to be fair as well like i'm thinking about it and like with the gimmick of our podcast we're this invested and we've only been watching the thunders yeah do you know i mean like if we were watching nitro as well imagine how in we would be um like again i like i look back at the observer rating and it only got three and a quarter which i think is just absolutely mental like again I'm not saying that this is a five star classic or something like that but like you said when you're invested in the angle and you've been watching it and you're seeing why everything makes sense and everything that plays into the 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 finish of this match makes perfect sense and I, as well as that it, like I, I, I said earlier it brings a crowd back to life that had been killed stone dead by everything that had happened so far on the show like this crowd were not happy at all and you wouldn't blame them for being completely switched off for the mm-hmm. rest of the show. And the they were absolutely losing their minds for the last half of this match, yeah. as I was as well. And again, something we have both talked about during this match is like, if you can make two people who know how the match ends by false finishes from 22 years ago, you're on to a winner. <laughs> yeah, like, honestly, this is... And I don't even know if it's a match I can ever revisit after now because yeah. it just, it was so perfect watching it. And yeah. like the the show preceding this, I wasn't into the, like Hoovy Silver King like kind of got me back into the show. But like the show before yeah. this wasn't anything special. And all I can think is if this had been a hot show and the crowd were kind of, they were building up to this fucking hot match. Yeah. And imagine if the crowd were invested in the early portion. Yeah. By the end of it, they would have been... like They were hot for the end of this match, but they would yeah. have been fucking molten and the whole if, thing would if, have been if elevated. this had been in another world where this is a world title feud and it's the main event of this show, like, imagine, but, you know, uh, if, the, if, if the match is for the world title and the freedom of the flock, you know. But look, look how invested us two fucking jaded fans 20 years later are in Saturn and Raven yeah. in a mid-card feud yeah. 
And now imagine if they actually had elevated Raven coming off of this feud into yeah. the upper echelon. Like what Raven could have brought to a Kevin Ash feud. Or what Raven could have brought to yeah. a fucking a Roddy Piper feud. Yeah, because even the matches he couldn't get anything great in the ring out of somebody in, he could weave you a story that will get you invested. We've had Raven matches since we started the show that were quite lackluster, mm-hmm. you know, um, where the like the booking of the match itself has been a bit sus. But he is such a compelling storyteller and psychologist in the ring that you're at least even if it's a chapter that that doesn't hit home as much as something like this did you're still interested mm-hmm. to some degree you know uh unlike a lot of this show so far where it's like well fuck i'm glad that's over <laughs> do you know what i mean um but yeah this was fucking perfect and we have a new martial arts division champion and it's one parent saturn yeah um, actually so- do you know what i totally forgot about that even though i mentioned that at the start and was talking yeah. about the smash <laughs> <laughs> you got so into it so uh we'll it'll be interesting to see where that goes now i think it's safe to say that like this is the um this is the most excited i've been for a martial arts mm-hmm. division title run because it's the first time where you could say right this is on a guy who is currently a hot prospect who is one of the best wrestlers in the company we had a very brief run with dean malenko but mm-hmm. it's like the belt went on dean right as he was at his hottest and it completely collapsed from there um, but yeah, the flock is free. We have a new martial arts division champion. Me and Lee, very very happy. And look, um, if it turns around that Saturn loses to fucking La Parca on Nitro, I won't be shocked. Yeah. Also, you know, La Parca martial arts division title run. I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tony said he was handed a note. Uh, that was a message conveyed by Hacksaw's wife, which says that. Hacksaw had successful surgery they took out a football sized tumour and they got it all which is is great news and as we talked about last week we know Hacksaw is still alive and well and thriving to this day so you know fair play Um, we get a flashback to Malenko and Hennig in the cage from Nitro um, the highlight of this is Arn turning Kurt Hennig inside out with a running elbow when he goes to oh, run into the cage the absolute highlight of the recap is the lads bum bum for Arn yeah, Rick, and, Rick Rude and Henning fucking throw themselves about because of Darren. And, yeah, and you just and then, see the respect. <laughs> yeah, immense respect. And then he gets in the ring, pops the top off and goes to fight Stevie Ray in his vest. Real da- real hours, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gotta see you outside. Sorry, shit. <laughs> Loved it. Um, next up, we have Hennig versus Malenko. And I'm just, I wrote at this point, it's like, I need more time to recover from that last match. My God. Um, and I did get it because there's not a huge amount no. to um to go through in this. It was it's weird because late two thirds of this match is a Malenko squash. Like okay. he is just yes. beating and beating and beating on Hennig and like trying to rip his leg off. It's almost to the point where you're like, a fucking come on, lay off, lay off his knee like for a sec. Come on, I feel bad for the guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, it almost engenders sympathy. It's it's that whole fucking Bret Hart Vince McMahon match, isn't it? Like where it's just twenty minutes of Bret beating up an old man. Yeah, but um, like it, the match it's uh, it's just very confused. Yeah, and like I know it's to ultimately just to get to the beatdown at the end, hmm. but this shouldn't be on a pay per view. No, and as well, the crowd had been brought back to life, and this kind of killed them a bit again. Um, so. 
Hennig is so hurt that he slides out of the ring and Rude is uh, there to help him up and try and get him out. The, the, it's so one-sided. So, like, at first, when Belenko is beaten on him, people are satisfied. They're finally getting to see Hennig get his comeuppance. But it goes on so long that, like you said, the crowd doesn't really know what to do <laughs> because it's so one-sided. Uh, Rude is helping him out as they're attempting to flee and the crowd are 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 jeering. Uh, the cameraman falls over. <laughs> <laughs> as he's tracking them back uh, then Dean catches up with them uh, f- fights with them in the aisle and forces uh, Hennig back into the ring Hennig is now begging off and pleading for Dean to stop but he won't uh, Dean does he does something to his leg and uh, Hennig real loudly into the camera goes ah Jesus God <laughs> <laughs> I should say as he's doing that cell Connor's like beside me and he looks at me and I was like I don't know <laughs> I'm just surprised he yeah. didn't swear <laughs> Yeah. Um, Malenko drops Hennig with a back suplex um, and then goes to hit the ropes but as he does it Rude throws out the leg and kicks him in the back to give Hennig some advantage uh, Hennig tries to do the Hennig plex but the leg won't uh, let him do it that one's for Jamesy there selling the leg um, Malenko then does the Hennig plex himself and Rude breaks up the pin for the DQ Um What's brilliant is as soon as this happens, people know yeah. that somebody's coming out. So they're just watching the ramp. They're not paying attention to anything that's going on in the ring. And then here comes Aaron Anderson. Uh, Hennig, the dastardly heel, gives him the double axe handle to the back of the head and they go to work on him. Um, and I, I wonder to myself, but what about the arm wrestling match on Thunder? And then the commentary starts wondering about what's going to happen to the arm wrestling match on Thunder. I, I did like that they worked over over the arm before the arm wrestling match. Yeah. But also, again, shouldn't have been on a pay-per-view. Yeah. But also, as well, I'm just... I'm interested because our next episode is a very famous Knights of Nitro with the Horseman reunion. And I'm very interested to see how they explain away... Them just coming that. back. They Yeah, uh, it's just like, oh, we're not waiting till Thursday. We're just... We're just coming back now. <laughs> Do you know where they could have done? Part of me was expecting, because I don't remember how they get to that conclusion. Part of me was kind of expecting that, like, he's worked down, he's worked down. And I was expecting Bischoff to come out and say, we'll do it now. Yeah, that that would have made sense. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been much better. It's like Bischoff, a referee and an arm wrestling table come out and then, like, Arn arms up and still beats him. Would be Would have been a much better version of this and I think would have gotten the crowd back. But Do you know what I think it just... is? I think they realised very late in the day where they had booked Nitro for. <laughs> that that does feel very WCW. It's like, oh shit. And that, like, like the following week they're in fucking, I don't know, fucking Jacksonville, Florida or something. Yeah. And they were just like, oh, well, we have to do it now, don't we? Yeah. Uh, oh God. Yeah. Um, we get uh, an ad for Halloween Havoc that is very uh, 90s Goosebumps TV series level of stuff. Goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> it, it features a gargoyle, a haunted house, uh, a grim reaper and a jack-o'-lantern. Viewer beware, you're in for a scare, my friend. Re- releasing the havoc that is Halloween. Yes. Oh, well, look, it was a... look, once it's not Jimmy Havoc. Yeah, and it's not, it's not as bad as um, the uncensored... Do you remember the uncensored TV ad that was just like an assault on the senses? So it wasn't that bad, but it was very 1998. But it still, it still wasn't Tony Schiavone dressed up doing trick-or-treating. No, no. But nothing is, to be fair. 
Um, Vincent is out next and he looks like almost legitimately pissed off because Scott is way behind him and he's staggering and he's drinking and selling how drunk he is. Dave, Dave, hang on, forget how drunk he is. Scott Hall is still the tag team champion. Yeah. (laughs) Certainly is. This is, it's funny because, you know, everybody remembers how basically by the time Russo gets around, belts are being hot shot at left right and center and no one gives a shit about him um and you know people talk about how there's some ridiculous like 20 odds uh world title changes in 2000 alone mm-hmm. um undersold is how mistreated the tag team titles are a lot of the time before that and i think pretty much since we've started this show i haven't felt like the tag team titles are worth shite um we had that brief singles feud between Sting and Giant for the tag titles, which yeah, made total yeah. sense. Yeah, um, that's pretty much the only memories I have of it. Actually, can, because here's it, one: Can you name who have been tag champs in the run of our show? I absolutely can't. I I absolutely can't. I know the Outsiders have been. I know Sting and Giant have been. I know Giant and Brian Adams <laughs> by appointment. Um. I can't remember if Sting and Sting and Lex were part of the singles feud for the tag belts, but I can't remember if they ever won it. I'm, um, I'm just gonna look up the uh, the WCW tag team titles and see if I can find. Yeah, well, I tell you, what, you look that up as I, I as I talk about Scott Hall coming to the ring here. Um, the one thing, so like, I kind of like, I really because it's uh, and part of it is looking back you know now that we're all more mature and with 2020 eyes and thinking about like god the alcoholism bit is really ooh, it's not great especially because he was dealing with some serious problems himself in 1998 now that we have that knowledge um the one part so there's two parts of this that are briefly very like got a little bit of a laugh out of me and the first one is like not him staggering out or anything like that or him having the drink but him getting in the wrong ring i was like okay <laughs> okay got a little chuckle out of him getting in the completely wrong ring and getting up on the ropes and everything and i mean like oh shit sorry yeah no get, getting in the wrong ring and stumbling up like struggling to get onto the middle rope was uh yeah it, it shouldn't have made me laugh but it, it did um yeah there's right i have the, the the history of the wcw tag team titles in front of me okay run us run us down from uh what is it january 1998 so, to now in january 1998 can you name who the champions were when Thunder began? Oh, I'm not. I'm not going to be able to name. You you, you won't be able to name them. Is it the Outsiders? No. Okay. Well, then no, I'm not going to be able to. Name. It was the Steiner brothers. Oh yes, yes. And then they lost the tag titles to the Outsiders, ah. who were champions for 28 days. Who then lost the titles back to the Steiner brothers, who were then tag team champions for 13 days. <laughs> who then. They ultimately lost the titles to the Outsiders once again, which was the match where Scott turned. And the Outsiders would reign for 84 days before they would lose the titles to Sting and the Giants. So straight away, we're into absolute shit. (laughs) Um, They would reign as tag champions. I I will say as well, I think we may have missed the entire second Steiner reign on the program. I don't know if they had a single appearance with the belts in their second reign on Thunder. I mean, 13 days, they, it really wasn't that long. Yeah. Um. So, Sting and the Giant beat the Outsiders 
they were recognized as champions for 28 days during which even though they even though they immediately split up even though they yeah they were never actually a tag team um somehow the next tag champions are kevin ash and sting right who would reign for 36 days and i cannot tell you any matches they had as an actual team i think that would that was the whole lex luger conan whoever was on fucking thunder filling in as a tag yeah. team champion mm-hmm. and then we get to scott hall and the, and the giants <laughs> and let me tell you this reign is far from over oh good stuff <clears throat> but um yeah so he does uh the drunk version of his usual usual promo um and at that point i'm i'm over this i, I just don't want to see it anymore and it's scott hall with vincent versus conan and unfortunately there is an awful lot of match here to <laughs> to watch um i i did um I did enjoy how Conan backs off into the other ring away from the drunk man to deliver his promo, which is so much more over than any of the shtick that, that Scott Hall was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have very little written down for this, Lee. This match was absolute shite. Uh, either Hall is selling being drunk or they're just doing moves and not very well. Um, I mean, it got to the stage where I was wondering to myself, is he actually drunk? Yeah. Um... The, the other decent uh, selling drunk spot is the bit where Conan gets him stuck in between the, the two rings. Yeah. Um, I, 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 that was like the mildest of kind of huh. very low chuckle. Well, but this well, match well, goes Dave, on for the, nearly 13 minutes, Lee. That, that, uh, that little move where Hall would get stuck between the rings. Yeah. That would play into something later on. And let me tell you, it's not something mm-hmm. I ever thought of until it was mentioned to me. Okay. But we'll come back to that. But yeah, uh, Hall gets stuck between the rings and ultimately crawls out. Yeah. Um, the crowd is just like, they're not having it. No. They're incredibly distracted. Something happens in the crowd over to the right-hand side of the hard camera at some point. Based on the way the crowd was reacting, I think there was a streaker. Which was like, this was maybe, the late 90s is like the golden era of streakers at sporting events. Well, I, I was like, going to say, like somebody fucking lifted off their top or something like that or yeah because there's like rather than so we've seen like fights or people get yeah. ejected from crowds on the show before but this was there was a lot of people like wolf whistling yeah that that's what made me think in the of crowd it. i was like yeah, yeah. Th- this is 1998 fucking like a lot of men in attendance it's it's yeah. something got to do with it's woman. either it's either yeah it's either nudity or like two women have gotten in a fight or something like that and the leery creepy men in the crowd are being like oh cat fight um something like that has happened but we don't ever get to see it at first like for the first couple of seconds i thought oh somebody's already running in uh to save us from this but sadly no this match would go on and on and on um absolute shit scott demands his drink back off vincent at the end um and when he he turns around with a conan kicks the drink into his face hits the face buster tequila sunrise um my evaluation of this match that i wrote here lee at the end just four words absolute piss fuck off (laughs) i don't think i can put it anywhere any better than that because this was shit i believe this got a a dud rating oh yeah i I saw the uh, stars tweet you put out because yeah. my god this is a hot closing stretch isn't it oh my god like it really 
we had to endure the lowest of lows on this show for that one shining highest of highs. Like, as you mentioned at the start of the show, one glimmering jewel in the middle of a sea of shite. <laughs> and, oh my God, this main event. It's war games. Okay, be- before we get into this match. Right. I don't know if you are aware of this, but WCW used to put out VHSs, which will be the best of... They had like the best of Uncensored, the best of yeah. Fall Brawl. Yeah. The best of whatever. So I had a best of Fall Brawl VHS that I got somewhere around 1999, 2000 ish. Right. And let me tell you, this match was on it. <laughs> it was. It was. Oh, God. It was actually, there was this match. There was, I think, the 1995 Hulk, Hulkamania versus Dungeon of Doom. Yeah. Fall Bra- uh, War Games match. There was. Rick Flair versus Darren Anderson from a yeah. fall brawl. Okay. And I think there was one other match which isn't coming to mind straight away. But I was very familiar with this match. And ah. it didn't lessen the pain at all. <laughs> yeah. So I I have never seen this match in its entirety. Oh really? No. I have seen sp- Bots from this match. I've seen bits of this match. I I've seen the the warrior part, obviously, um. But I think any time I may have tried to watch this in the past, I was just like, oh fuck this, and this is the first time I've actually had to watch it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. Because the thing, so like I, ever the thing I do remember is that the opening few minutes of this match, fucked me off in a big way. And we'll talk about it. It's just so much WCW shite. And the the it starts with Buffer. Buffer is back. Buffer Doing... with all, all the enthusiasm of a fucking... A Walmart fucking, you know, announcer running through the specials of the day. Yeah. Like, you know the way usually in his main events and, like, we hate his spiel and the way he, like, he, he speaks about these wrestlers and tries to big them up like a man who clearly doesn't watch the product and I can't fucking blame him. Um... But this time he's just like, he's so not arsed that he just lists the nine names. <laughs> like he just, these are the guys, whatever. Um, I will say hell of a pyro show for the cage closing. I, um, I have to I, I, I do love the War Games music. Oh yeah, that, I was going to say the War Games music is class. I'm not sure about everybody coming no. out to the War Games music. No, I do not, not like that. Yeah, not huge into that, but... I'd like the War Games music in and of itself. Like, it's much better than the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun yes. uh, in WWF. Um, Tony, right, okay. <clears throat> so, he, re- I think Buffer says maybe three times, the match can end at any time. Mm-hmm. And I suppose maybe it's to the credit of WCW that they keep saying the match can end at any time so many times that I was pretty sure the match was going to end just like out of nowhere anticlimactically. And it does end anticlimactically. Just, you know, everybody has come out by then. Um, I would have laughed so hard, so hard if the match ended before Warrior came out. Because <laughs> they just didn't want him to wrestle. <laughs> uh, do you know what? It would have been better than what we got. It would have been better. Um... So yeah, he mentions it two or three times. The match can end at, at any time. Hey, so the most egregious part of the opening segment. I want to see. Did you catch this? Is tomorrow it night. Tony? Yeah. Tomorrow night. Oh my god. On Monday Night Nitro. 
on a pay-per-view, they announce <laughs> that they are giving away yeah. Sting versus fucking Goldberg for the first time ever on a Monday Night Nitro with for, no build. For the title. Like, yeah, Sting, they, they, Sting, Sting is in this match. Yes. Looking for a title so, shot. This is, this is where I'm immediately fucked off, right? Because one... They give away this match on 24 hours of build. I wouldn't call this build. No, yeah. Well, like an announcement 24 hours before the match. On a pay-per-view that a minuscule amount of your audience will actually pay to watch. Yes. Number two. Goldberg isn't on this show. Why could you not have done the match on the show? Because once again, they didn't plan this shit. They, they just wanted to pop a fucking segment. Yeah. They just want to pop a TV rating. Although, you know, a hell of a way to try and pop a TV rating by telling people on a pay-per-view and not even on Thunder the previous week. So there, there's that level to it. Goldberg versus Sting could have made fucking money. You know, for this company. Like, all you need is a month's worth of build. You could either have built it for this pay-per-view and have it before or after War Games and you've got your Goldberg match and War Games... Like, that's a huge pay-per-view. If you have War Games and you have Goldberg versus Sting for the title, holy shit, that's a big show. Or you could have Sting win this match and the main event of Halloween Havoc is Sting versus Goldberg. Also, huge match, moneymaker, you know? Yep. Or just hold it off. Just don't do it on Nitro. Um, And then thirdly, as you pointed out, Sting is in this match for which the winner gets a world title shot. So why is Sting bothered? Why, why, why is Sting bother coming out? Like, what was? Yeah. What did he gain from being in this match? Yeah. Like, if you're Conan, the, the only member of the Wolfpack who isn't in this match, would you not be a bit annoyed and be like, I mean, I, I could have got a world title shot if you'd let me be in this match, you know? Um, but it, it, it's also the fact that they tell you, right, before, right as the match starts, that yeah. one of the participants gets a title shot, doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. It's uh, it's completely, it's bullshit. And there's a couple of occasions during this match where they do things and try to explain things away that just completely take the wind out of the sails of this match. Like, I already wasn't looking forward to this match. I've already heard what an all-timer bad, a bad match it is. And I've heard about, or like the bits I've seen really kind of turned me off this match. But oh my God, like announcing that at the start was like, that's the match I want to see, not this bollocks. <sighs> anyway, it's DDP and Brett to kick us off. First couple of matches, mostly Brett working over Paige. Um, with two minutes left on the clock, Paige tries to fire up, but Brett resists, hits a backbreaker. Um, I and I love this as well. Just pointing out, like, and he's doing this in a way I don't think he thought before he spoke here, but Brain says he doesn't think Brett knows he's on the clock. So like, I, I'm just like. It's a war game. The whole thing is that he's on the clock. The whole thing is that they keep telling you it can end any time. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're trying to tell me that Brett doesn't know he's on the clock, I am forced to conclude that Brett is an idiot. Well, Dave, what have, what have WCW told us for the past nine months of this show? That everyone is an idiot? <laughs> there you go. Not only yeah. is Brett an idiot, they're all fucking morons. Yeah. Because ultimately, none of it matters. Yeah, and it just, do you know what? And it draws attention to the fact that neither man is really trying to finish the no. other. Like, I, I I have very little notes 
I mentioned that Brett hits a hell of a DDT. Yeah. And that for the first five minutes, neither of them really go mad. Yeah. They are st- they do five minute what looks like five minutes of a 20-minute match. A, a leisurely place, I would yeah. say. Like, the psychology of this match, because they have hit it hard so many times that it can end at any time, this should be five minutes of the most frantic, trying to hit finishers and roll each other up you've ever seen. And it should get mm-hmm. the crowd up out of their seats. Like, you know what I mean? Yep. Like, you should be starting off this match with Paige going for the diamond cutter. Maybe Brett blocks it. Fucking DDP takes a bump and Brett tries to roll over and uh, do the sharpshooter. and like, Count each be other going... into the cage. Fucking anything. Like, they should just... be doing the big moves or they should both end up bringing weapons out or like anything that's more kind of like, I need to finish this fucker. I've got five minutes. This is the most, like this is the biggest chance I have of winning this match kind of thing. Like like Paige should hit the diamond cutter just as Stevie's coming into the ring. Yeah. Yeah, even if that's what you want to do, that like, he, you want that five minutes to be set up so that like, the big, big near fall happens that Stevie is just in in time to break mm-hmm. it up. But n- nothing. Like I said, they wrestle it like it's five minutes of a 20 minute singles match. And it was just like, I, when that is setting the tone for the whole match, I'm like, oh, fuck. But anyway, as you say, Stevie Ray enters next. Um, and all of a sudden, right, Tony, in a, a complete news flash to anybody watching this, announces that Stevie was the pick for the... So they kept talking about how this was a random draw, right? Mm-hmm. That it was completely random that DDP and Paige, or that DDP and Brett, were the first people to come in, you know? And as you say, that's why we were thinking, like, surely if it's a truly random draw, that could end up with two Hollywood guys in the ring and one of them just take, you know... No, to, see, uh, see, what I think they actually meant to say was that it was a team that was drawn. So it would have said yeah. Team Hollywood. It wouldn't have said Stevie Ray. Yeah. My, my guess is that they started saying that it's completely random. Mm. And at some point... During this broadcast, or after they had said it for the first time on TV, somebody noticed that massive loophole in logic and mentioned it to them. So they're backpedaling now. Because I thought they said at the start of the show that Team WCW were drawn and Paige said he was starting. Because as team captain, he got to make that decision. So they... So what you're saying is they said it and then they completely forgot that yeah, they said it I, and then I think remembered that's what that they said it. Yeah, I think that's the way it was. Oh I think it was my u- giddy aunt. It was ultimately mixed messaging and because I'm pretty sure they say like Paige made the decision to start the match. Yeah. So do you remember earlier, Lee, when I said that pro wrestling is good when you keep it simple? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big point you made just here, Dave. <laughs> this is the most like not obviously you know as we get to 99 2000 we'll have worse but like they overthought this thing six ways from sunday yep all they had to have was the match Mm -hmm. like and doing this like from the moment they added another team you were on to a loser with this all it had to be was hollywood versus wolfpack but then they figured they needed to figure out a way to get Paige his title shot. So they've added Team WCW and the whole Warrior thing as well. They want him involved in there. So you have three teams and you have a title shot, a man's debut, 
the Hogan narrative. There's so much going on and not in a good way. It's not like with the Raven, Saturn, Canyon feud or, or other feuds we have where different storylines are interweaving in a good way. This feels like we're throwing a hundred things at the wall in the hope that you will buy this pay-per-view without even kind of putting into consideration whether any of it makes sense or not. I, I don't want to go full fantasy book in here. Yeah. But how much simpler would the card have been if we had Raven Saturn? Yeah. If we had Wolfpack versus NWO um war games. Yeah. And you just you ultimately built Tanash and Hall facing off. Yeah. There you go. You don't even need Hogan in the match. Hall's the main guy. It also fr- it also frees up uh Conan to replace Sting in war games so that you could do Sting and Goldberg. No, I I just do straight four on four Hogan or um Nash Sting, Luger, Conan versus Hall, Scott Norton, fucking yeah. two others, Brian Clare or Brian Adams, and I don't know whoever else. And then you just do you do Warrior versus Disciple. Hogan can be at ringside; he doesn't even have to take a fucking bump. Not that he yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> and then you do Goldberg versus Sting, or um, you don't even need a Goldberg match. You just do DDP versus somebody for the number one contendership. Yeah. DDP versus Piper. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, because they, they, they're a few. That would make sense that they came to a boiling point um, in the lead up to this pay-per-view. Like DDP versus Piper could have been invented as a number one contender match. Yeah. You, have, just... you have Goldberg come down and do a stare, stare, a stare down with Pipe, or a Page to close the show. Mm. There you go. So Stevie Ray is out, which is when the, the confusion happens with the, uh, you know, whether it was a random draw or a team pick. Um, Stevie gets both men down and... <laughs> which is great so both men out on the floor 30 seconds on the clock does not attempt to cover and so I surmised immediately that it was oh look he's Hogan's lackey do you know he's new to the NWO mm. so he's being sent out there to wear everybody down so Hogan come out and steal the pin but the problem with this was I think a good 10 seconds passes where the commentators are really scrambling to figure out why this is happening they've lost track of what's happening uh, and then they eventually make it back to, oh yeah, he's he's Hogan Stooge, like he's just, he's been sent out here, um, and they they come back to what they had said at the start yeah. was that he came out first because Hogan sent him out. He he's not here to win, he's here to help Hogan. Yeah, yeah. And which, they, which which was ultimately the whole reason he joined the NWO, if you remember back that far. Yeah. Which is hard. It feels like a million years ago. I know. <laughs> um, but, Look. Yeah, it was just it was the it was the pause in them trying to catch up and figure out why it was happening that was like oh yeah <laughs> I I got to the conclusion before the commentary does where it should be a kind of thing where you're baffled and surprised and the commentary goes this is why it is and you're like aha you know um but yeah it made the commentary look like chumps here um not for the last time unfortunately not for the last time um. So, yeah, Sting is in next, runs wild on Stevie, dives from one ring to the other and nearly fucking lands on the top of his head doing it. Yeah. Um, 1998 Sting shouldn't have been doing that. That was N- scary. 1992 Sting, absolutely. 1998 yeah. Sting, uh, not so much. The most unintentional comedy timing moment of the night happens as Bobby Heenan says, oh, the other two are still wailing on each other in the corner and then the camera immediately cuts and the other two of them are still dead on the ground, not moving. (laughs) WCW. Uh, 
Yeah, Stevie is then caught between the ropes and the cage. And this is, I, I love when somebody gets caught between the ropes and the cage and is just stuck there and, and eats a can't, couple of moves. Can't, can't figure out how to get out, yeah. Yeah, it's like, like I said, Babyface is trapped in the ring uh, level of a, a, a trope I enjoy. <clears throat> he eats two big splashes before he ducks a third. Piper is out now and I was roaring laughing. <sighs> how, Piper, shit, how shit does Piper look? Oh, like terrible, but like... Him running past the camera at a hundred miles an hour with his mouth wide open, screaming like a maniac. Just, just out of interest, how many lines do you think he did before he came out? Oh my god! Like it was Scarface levels. It was just a big mountain. Like <laughs> he just looked unhinged. It was spec. I want if somebody could please make me a gif of him scream past the camera i would treasure that so thunder buddies get to work because it was just i was crying as he came out doing that um and like i said he looks like absolute dog shit in the match yeah he is declared as team wcw as he's getting to the ring but then almost immediately attacks page yeah, well, and, he's, as Bobby Heenan points out, he's the only man smart enough to realise it's every man for himself. Well, that's it. And then, which brings any fan watching and thinking about this match, although it's a fool's errand to even think about this match, it brings you back in your head. as like, why are there teams? Why did they put a title shot on the line in a match involving teams? It's so overbooked. Everybody is laid out. Piper and DDP bump uh, back first into each other and they start slugging at each other. Luger is out now and instead of running out uh, to try and get a pin or anything like that, he takes time to flex and walk over to the crowd a little bit. Luger almost immediately attacks Brett. Brett had saved his life on Thunder, basically. He he also waved at Lex as he got into the ring. Yeah, so that was a complete waste because the two of them wailed each other. I was like, I wasn't going to write it down because I was like, oh, maybe later on in the match it pays off. Nope. 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 (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, Nash comes out next. Massive pyro for him. And then he actually starts sprinting. I couldn't believe it. Well, I mean, you're you're being generous there. I'm I'm grading on a curve He took long steps. Yeah. And because (laughs) because he took his long steps, he he jogged to the ring. Uh, Within 30 seconds, he's taken the straps down because he's already blown up. (laughs) (laughs) I said the very same thing. He gets into the ring and immediately the straps come down because he is fucked. (laughs) Yeah, um. Then the cu- the camera cuts back to the ramp, and Hogan is sneaking in like Elmer Fudd. No, no, he is the Repo Man. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he absolutely is. You've nailed it. Yeah, he's yeah. here to steal a title shot. Brother. Oh my god, <laughs> he's coming. He creeps in and he attacks Nash. Him and Stevie go to ring two and lay everybody else out with the slapjack in hand. Even Brett. Yeah. Now, oh no, sorry, Bear- they don't hit Brett, sorry. Brett, uh, they make a big deal of not hitting Brett and then Stevie just chops the leg out from under him. Yeah. Time expires, so they, Hogan had come out like t- maybe two minutes, I think, before I think it was he was... I think 90 seconds before he was due. Yeah. He he comes out and like, no repercussions for this. The, 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 the well, I mean, war I mean ga- look, it, it's fucking war games. Is, there's no DQs. Yeah, the war games rules an absolute sham. Um... The time expires for when Hogan was supposed to arrive. He drops the leg on Nash, poses for absolutely ages, drops a second leg. Then the ring fills with smoke and Warrior is here. Hogan immediately jumps him. You forgot the best part. The ring fills with smoke and Bobby starts coughing. Yeah. (laughs) 
he starts coughing. Warrior is here. It was so anticlimactic to me. Um, Hogan and, jumps him. And it was so right. obviously not the warrior. Yes, yes, very clearly. Um, because another blast of smoke happens and the body vanishes. Then there's a blast of pyro and Warrior is here again. Like, surely... Right, look, this is, I was thinking about this. Dave, a man's career was ended for that segment, that little spot. <laughs> yeah, but surely that's the wrong way around, right? Because surely what you should be doing is like, Hogan thinks he's smart because he locks the door to the cage so Warrior can't get in at him. Uh, or Warrior comes out on the ramp first and Hogan is distracted and then the smoke and he, he pops up behind him. Surely the reveal of him already being in the cage is supposed to be the final reveal and not the false flag. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. oh my God. It's like, it's so top zero. And have you said, a man's career was effectively ended for this and it was shite. It and and here's the thing, for the past couple of weeks, Hogan hasn't been interested in Warrior. All he wants yeah. is a title shot. Yeah. He laid out everybody else in the ring. Yeah. Why didn't he just pin someone? Yeah. He showed no concern, really, about the, the man who uh, he has never beaten. In You know. And yeah. Like I said, it should have been the final reveal. It would have been like, look, I, I hate Warrior. And I, re- I really, you know, on a personal level, don't like Hogan. Mm-hmm. And I could do without seeing either one of them ever wrestle. However it would have been a much cooler moment. Like I said, if he did the thing where he thought he was being the smart lad, where he brought out a giant padlock, Unlocked locked it, yeah. himself into the cage, him and Stevie laid waste to everybody. He thinks that it's Warrior up on the ramp, but it's not because he has popped up. Like the other, they say the, the other ring filled with smoke or something. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Like, there are so many better ways they could have done this. And it was just, ah. Oh god now let's get to the bit so hogan lays out everyone warrior runs out war uh, hogan ultimately escapes from the cage with help from the disciple yeah and he tells the disciple to lock the cage and knock out the referee yeah so warrior is now trapped in the ring with everyone down no interest in winning the match obviously sure what, what would you need the wcw title for he stalks through the two rings he goes from one ring to the other stalking Hogan as Hogan's walking around the cage. Yeah. As as if he was an animal in the zoo, too dumb to understand that he couldn't get out through a fence. Now, my son is seven years old. Yes. He watches a lot of wrestling and, you know, that that's my fault. Well, he's, he's, <laughs> he's a former IWGP junior heavyweight champion. <laughs> and he watched the Scott Hall match with me. Scott Hall went down between the rings yeah. and crawled out outside underneath one of the aprons. Yeah. As Hogan is outside the ring and Warrior is stalking through the cage, Connor looks to me and goes, Dad, why doesn't Ho- or why doesn't Warrior just go down underneath the apron? <laughs> My God. Like, when a seven-year-old can see... Now, you've obviously got a pretty sharp seven-year-old who who has watched a lot of wrestling for his for his young age. But, like, when any seven-year-old is able to see through the absolute sham of your booking... And do you know what? I turned to him and I went, I don't know. Yeah, I genuinely hadn't thought about that. Because <laughs> my brain is so fucking warped to wrestling logic. 
Yeah. That I was just thinking, why doesn't he just kick in the door? Because we've seen doors being broken on cages numerous times. Yeah, doors mean nothing. Doors, and especially locked doors, almost guarantee that they'll be broken. But instead, what we get is the wire climbs up onto the top rope. Yeah. And kicks out the top segment. Well, tries to kick out the top segment of one of the cages. Yeah. And he knocks the corner off. Yeah. And he starts shimmying through this segment <laughs> of the cage and probably and looks... rip, ripping the legs off himself looking absolutely ridiculous <laughs> and then falls I want to say what 12 12 foot to the floor yeah, yeah. and injures himself Dave <laughs> the man injured himself on the most useless segment the... <laughs> they're paying this man a lot of money like millions yeah. And he literally didn't wrestle. And he didn't take a bump. Instead, he nearly <laughs> breaks his fucking leg jumping out of a cage. Oh, Make logic God. of this for me because... No, I, I can't. It looked... It'd be one thing. So, like, the the ultimate badass version of something like this, the one I always think of is, Kane. you know, we talked about it already. Uh, when When Goldberg... Uh, was in that elimination chamber. Yes. And Triple H locks himself in and thinks he's safe and he just Ric kicks Flair in. in one of the in one of the coolest Ric Flair moments is holding the, the door shut with his mm-hmm. leg and flipping Goldberg off and he just kicks in the chamber. Yeah. That was the that's first the, time it happened. Yes. That's the badass version of this. This was or, the or most Kane awkward... Kane's debut. That's another one. Yeah. This was the most awkward fucking like, ah, uh, it's just... Dave, a seven-year-old looked at this and went, this is dumb. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was going to end with you going and Connor's decided he's not watching wrestling anymore. <laughs> like, I, I should mention, when Warrior comes out, he runs out and Connor was like, oh, that's the ultimate Warrior I have because he has the, the toy figure. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's cool. And then he watched it and went, oh, no, this is dumb. Yeah. Uh, do you know, it's going to be great getting his observations because he watches a lot of these shows with you. Getting his observations as this product gets worse and he gets older. Like, again, <laughs> this is this is stuff he wouldn't have seen and I don't let him watch, like, Attitude Era stuff, obviously, for, for very, very obvious reasons. Yeah. But seeing what his limits are on just ridiculous WCW booking, that's going to be one of the reasons I continue on with this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it was just yeah and then it's, the, the match ends <laughs> yeah so yeah like um he attacks he, he goes gives he injures himself goes up after hogan and the booty man uh starts beating on them until security comes out and separates them uh in the ring brett is holding ddp stevie winds up the slapjack but uh whacks brett instead and again like your point now brett is now cooperating with the nwo again i guess well, see, um, he doesn't actually hit Brett because yeah. they even botched that. Yeah. He theoretically hits Brett, but doesn't actually. Uh, then DDP just hits the diamond cutter and wins. What the fuck was that? And the my favourite thing about this was the crowd's reaction to this finish was basically like, is huh. that it? Yeah, that was just, just very much a, huh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, and look, I hate to say it, but compare and contrast the reactions for DDP in the Raven Benoit three way field. Yeah. And compare it to the DDP reaction now, where he's just become number one contender for the WCW title after a prolonged Hogan field. Yeah. 
people should be at a fever pitch for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know it goes on to be maybe the best Goldberg match of his entire WCW run. Um, in terms of a singles match, anyway. It, it doesn't excuse the fucking wet fart of a reaction. Yeah. But think of how much bigger that match would have been if, like, they had kept the momentum with DDP. If DDP you just pin, straight up pinned Roddy Piper. Yeah. Or if it hadn't been, like, if it had been booked so that the, the crowd had time to kind of forget about what had just happened with Warrior and stuff so that you could build up to the finish rather mm-hmm. than basically the Hogan thing happens you cut the camera back to the ring maybe 10 seconds passes and it's just a finish like that has no heat at all like I just yeah Paige runs into the crowd and he's celebrating but the crowd are kind of like yeah and that's it we go off the air it's just I fucking just an awful way to end this pay-per-view but you know what it was the finish this fucking pay-per-view deserved yeah um, our, our finish counter Brought to you by Ludwig Borger. We had nine matches, seven clean finishes, <laughs> one DQ, and one other. Um, Lee. Winners and losers. <laughs> I, sh- I should have gone to you first with that, but I just needed to get... I just don't want to talk about the finishes to these matches anymore, so I need to get that out of the way. Okay, I'm going to go with losers first. Losers are... <laughs> Strap in. This could be a long one. <laughs> <laughs> look it'd be easy to talk about fin- ultimately the biggest loser on this show is, is British Bulldog Dave Boysmith and I, I, yeah. I again I hate to go over it again but ultimately he's the biggest loser in all of this the winners uh, the, straight up there's only two winners on this show and that's Raven and Saturn these yeah. guys should have been fucking rocket strapped and made into fucking huge parts of WCW going forward yeah and it's something we'll we'll see more and more. And we, we've already talked about it with DDP and to a lesser extent it happens with Benoit as well. Mm-hmm. Is that there there truly is worse than I know WWF, WWE have had it over the years. All, like all wrestling companies have a glass ceiling to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But it's never been worse and more to a company's detriment than WCW. You know, maybe you could argue we're getting to the point now with WWE where it's to their detriment that they never created new stars. But like in terms of how consistently they had a hot prospect and they just butted up against a wall at the glass ceiling, should I say, um, uh, to the point where all the heat was gone off them when they had an opportunity. They had an opportunity with Paige, like we said, the most organically over guy, really. Uh, in early parts of this show Sting as well obviously that they'd mm-hmm. built for so long um, the one the only one that they ever ran with was Goldberg and as we'll talk about later on in the year they even fucked that up eventually and, and look at how botched that run was and yet people still remember it fondly yeah um, you have so many opportunities like look how consistently Jericho's getting stuff over you know uh, a guy who, in fairness to him, over 25 years, you know, we, we talked about the Mimosa Mayhem match being shite. And mm-hmm. obviously he's not the wrestler he was. And um, it's kind of sad to see by comparison sometimes when he just can't hang and he's getting blown up and stuff like that. But there's a guy who for 25 years uh, fairly consistently was given absolute shite or forgotten about in terms of booking and still made the most out of it. 
and he wasn't given the chance to get to that next level in WCW. Perry Saturn and Raven are two more of those guys. Obviously, you know, Eddie never got anywhere close mm-hmm. either. The talent they had, the fucking biggest ben, guy in WWF, Steve Austin, you know, obviously he's before the the run of ben, Benoit. Uh, shows we talk about. Still to come on our run, Benoit. Yeah, there's so there and like so many more as well. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they would have made him world heavyweight champion, but Rey Mysterio. Yep. You know? Um like there there's just so many of them and this is one of those times where you're just like God, how much fresher would WCW have looked with even just for a couple of months letting the old dudes take a back seat mm-hmm. and putting something fresh uh, in a main event feud. Um it's just it's so bitterly disappointing and it's one of those things we, we've talked about on the show before is because we know how this all ends every time we see an avenue where if they had gone a different direction things could have been so much more different it makes it even more frustrating more frustrating and more heartbreaking uh, both for the company and for the individual guys mm-hmm. because you know the Jericho story ended very happily because he goes over to WWF obviously for a long time he struggled in the mid card and it was only after he left and came back that he was really a legit main eventer there um, but the likes of Perry Saturn Raven mm-hmm. Dean Malenko never ever got the the run they should have yeah. on or near the top mm-hmm. you know um, and part of that just beca- because people were so conditioned over many years to think these guys because of WCW didn't deserve to be higher than the the mid card you know and again it took somebody like Jericho eight years yeah. in WWF Actually, you know what I mean like obviously he had a gap in the middle there 2005 2007 he was gone but it took him so long to get to the point where he was up Vince consistently yeah. trusted him yeah. you know obviously he had the undisputed title reign but like that was just to hold the bags for Triple H mm-hmm. for a few months and I mean, we, we've said it before, look how long it takes them to actually get behind Booker. And when they do yeah. get behind him, they're not actually fully behind him. Yeah, that's it. Like, and they, yeah, there's another guy who was like already so hot in 1998. They waited so long to put the belt on him. And like you said, even when they finally did, they were never really behind him. And, same, and it, was during, <clears throat> it was during a period where they had already trivialized the world mm-hmm. title. And the same with Scott you Steiner. Know? Ultimately, as we'll see when we get to it in a couple of years, his title runs do nothing. Yeah. And yeah, again, like, you know, Scott Steiner in 1998 is a hot character. Mm-hmm. And as well, this is at the point where in terms of how he's doing physically, he can still go in the ring. Yep. Like by 2000, he's already starting to show break that down, like yep. he's starting to break down, which is incredible that he was still wrestling up until his unfortunate heart attack earlier this year mm-hmm. or late last year, whenever it was. I think it was late last year, was it? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, so like it's incredible that his body has basically been breaking down for twenty years, and it only like really stopped him dead in his tracks last look, year. Look, when when but, he joined WWF in two thousand and three, people were saying he's broken. Or sorry, yeah. two thousand two, late two thousand two, people were saying yeah, it was, Survi- it was this guy Survivor Series two thousand and two. Yeah. Like people, people were like adamant. He he's done. He's finished. Like he should not be here. Yeah, but you could have. He but he was still at the stage in two thousand and two where you could have smoked and mirrored mm-hmm. a good run out of him, but instead Triple H just embarrassed him. Yeah. Because you know of what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. But yeah, look, uh, 
it's all very bleak note to leave the show on. Mm-hmm. Um, Look, but I, 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 everybody, everybody, if you've watched along with the shows, we'll just go and watch Saturn and Raven. Yeah. Because ultimately, that's the thing that will keep us going for the next while. The hope that we get even another couple of matches like that between now and 1999. Like just over the next couple yeah. of months, if we get one more match like that, it will be worth it. And that's what <clears throat> the one thing that you know we benefit from with the way WCW just ignored a lot of people in the mid card is that sometimes you got little glimmers like this because mm-hmm. they were kind of, a lot of them were left to their own devices or only given broad strokes because Bischoff didn't really think they could draw a dime. So what you end up with is these storylines or these matches just being in the hands of people who really knew what they were doing in Raven and Saturn. And they make absolute gold out of it. Mm-hmm. Like you said, if if you've been watching these shows along with us, watch this match. Watch only this match. This was the <laughs> worst pay-per-view start to finish that we've done on this show um, by a considerable distance, I think. But this match was excellent. Gold. It was great yeah. pro wrestling. Like, again, it's not a... It's not it's not a five-star Tokyo Dome classic. But for, for investment, it, it has it all. For these kind of characters, for this period of North American wrestling, if this is the kind of stuff you grew up on, this is perfect booking, mm-hmm. uh, I think. And like, it's just a great closing stretch to a match. And it's only like 15 minutes long. Yeah. You know what I mean as well? So it didn't outstay its welcome either. Um, yeah, absolutely loved it. Um, but yeah, on that note, that's another episode of Days of Thunder in the bag. Uh, as we said at the top of the show, we'll be back next week. Uh, instead of in two weeks with a Knights of Nitro special talking a very very important night for the Four Horsemen we shall see you then for myself and Lee see you next week thanks everyone for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself Dave Ryan and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold you can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram where we love to hear from our listeners about all things wrestling and beer we're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past like the Worldcast through the years in the International House of Combat to wrestling of the present with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine and the Truth and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars